Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the way that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health provider. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I am Jen Adams. I'm Laura Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And today we are talking about, this is part two kind of of our um, study of anxiety and why we use horror to kind of help us with anxiety. And we are talking about the movie Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Yes, let's scare her to death. Yes. Um, <laughs> so let's start with what our first experience of this movie was. So, Mike, what is the first time? When did you watch this movie for the first time? So, like... Back in the early 2000s, I used to host this horror movie night at our house. Um, there was like a local message board that all these like punk it, punks and artists and musicians, we all like would post on it during the work day. And I would just like throw up on there like Sunday night, come over, we'll grill in the front yard and then watch a few horror movies. And a really dear friend of mine, um, Lindsay, brought this movie over to watch as one of our choices for a double feature. Like she absolutely adored this movie. So that was my first experience is like watching it with probably some of the best friends I ever made and still have to this day. And it was funny rewatching this, like just watching Jessica's whole style. I'm like, my God, my best friend Lindsay's been chasing this aesthetic for like 20 years. So absolutely <laughs> a, love it. So it's a good aesthetic. I was looking Agreed. at that skirt. I was like, oh, I like that skirt. <laughs> I love the whole 70s vibe of this movie and style and everything. Mm -hmm. Laura, when was the first time you watched this movie? Um, so I honestly do not remember the exact first time I saw it, but I know I watched it sometime when I was in my mid-20s. So like just to date and age myself sometime between <laughs> 2010 and 2015. Um, I know that the print I saw of it was like really, really terrible, but that kind of added to the dreamy aesthetic of the movie. Like it's already kind of a foggy, misty movie and that sort of added to it for better or worse. Um, I know I tracked it down. I remember the title intriguing me that I kept seeing it on lists of like little known horror gems. And I'm pretty sure someone also recommended it at Odd Obsession, which is a, was a video rental shop in Chicago, um, recently announced that it was, it's closing, which is a huge loss for the Chicago mm. film community. And, you know, they were, they were, they just did a, a fundraiser and then this whole crisis hit. And I think that might've just been the final nail in the coffin, but mm. I have so many great memories of that place discovering, bizarre you know genre and indie films and cult films there so um just it's all kind of tied together in that era in my life when I was spending a lot of time going to that shop just trying to go through and find all the weird horror movies I could um yeah and it had a big impact on me at that time hmm. 
I have had actually never heard of this movie until a couple of months ago. Um, and so the spinsters of horror, which Mike, I know are on the morbidly mm -hmm. beautiful network with you guys, mm -hmm. they have a monthly feature called let's scare Jessica to death because one of their hosts is Jessica. And I was like, Oh, that's an interesting title. And then I started kind of like seeing it pop up over and over again. I was like, Oh, this is actually a movie. And I thought that it was going to be like, um, I had no clue what this was going to be when I went into it. I thought it was going to be like, they're going to pick on some girl named Jessica. And like, I thought it was going to be a lot more about bullying than it was. So I, this was one of those movies where I put on and I was like, Oh, why have I not been watching this movie my entire life? Because it's, this is a very gin movie and I just loved it. Um, yeah, so I was going to say, uh, just, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, just that the title is like so misleading, and, but mm -hmm. and it, it is and it isn't like, it's like, it's one of those things where you're like, that had nothing to do with the title, but then you're like, did it have something to do with the title? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's one that leaves you thinking a lot. It's the kind of thing that I feel like I would say to myself about myself, like, oh, let's let's go do this thing that I know might not be good for me. Let's just scare me to death, you know? So I like there's part of me that does really like it, but I do think it's kind of misleading, well, but not in a bad way. You know, it's definitely a title that's of its time. Like it's like that late 60s, early 70s yes. where you were seeing titles like whatever happened to baby Jane and uh -huh. you were getting more and more things like that in a movie where it was like having this where you were going for this kind of realism in film overall that you would have almost conversational film titles so it's yeah. definitely a product of its time there's this urban legend where like they they pick on this girl and then they bully her and they put her in the closet and then they go on school vacation mm -hmm. and she dies or something and i thought that was what the story was going to be um but but so speaking of what the story actually is, we are going to give a synopsis of this movie. And just to warn you, because this is technically our first movie episode, we're going to spoil this movie. Um, we're going to talk about the entire thing. So if you haven't seen it, you know, maybe push pause and then go watch it and come right back and listen to the rest. But um, so we're going to start with the Shout Factory Blu-ray synopsis. So, released from an institution after suffering a nervous breakdown, Jessica, played by Zora Lampert from The Exorcist Part 3, seeks the tranquility of a secluded home in Connecticut to help make her recovery complete. But instead of a restful recuperation with her husband and close friend in the New England countryside, Jessica soon finds herself falling into a swirling vortex of madness and the supernatural. And an even more unsettling discovery is that the entire region seems to be under the influence of a mysterious woman who has been living in the supposedly empty house. Jessica's fear and dread only intensify when she discovers that the undead girl Emily tragically drowned long ago on her wedding day is she back to take vengeance dun, dun, dun. so that's an interesting synopsis because as I read that I'm like yeah kind of that's kind of what happens right it also it's, spoils some key details while not right totally clarifying them in the way they mm -hmm. actually play yeah I don't know it's interesting yeah yeah, I mean, that is because like that's like you've read you watched the movie and then you write that because you know what happened. It's like the hindsight bias version of it. you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I also want to just point out, I think, you know, this is one of the, the first time I think it is the first time this has been on Blu-ray. It was out of print for a long time or very hard to track down. Um, it, it is available online for streaming at different streaming platforms, but this is a good Blu-ray to pick up. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike, did you, did you watch it on this Blu-ray? Yeah, I picked up the, um, Shout Blu-ray. Um, we pre, I think I even pre-ordered it 
um, somehow knowing months ago that we would be sitting down to discuss it had this premonition of it. Yes, no, but, um, a creepy premonition, a girl in a graveyard whispered exactly. to you. Nice. So, but it was just like, it's one of those movies where, you know, I can't say it's one of my all-time favorites, but it's got, it definitely had some of those warm and fuzzy feels for it. I'm like, so why not? And it's the Blu-ray transfer is gorgeous. It's absolutely, it looks stunning on Blu-ray. And then, um, as always with like the shout and scream factory releases, there's a, a plethora of like great features on it. There's uh, a great little interview with Kim Newman, uh, who's a horror historian who details, uh, the importance of this movie and, um, you know, what it meant to him personally. And then really interesting, they do a then and now comparison to where the film was shot. So you can oh. see, yeah, which is really neat. Like they go through the graveyard, some of the town and, um, also the uh, old kind of rustic house that this was filmed in, which is not really standing any oh. longer. So oh, um, there's just like a redheaded vampire standing on the rub. The ruins. Right. She's yeah. like, I can't leave. Somebody yeah, no. please help. <laughs> the still rocking chair though. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it's like when they do things like what's funny is like, they show the lake, like here's the lake in 1971 and, they show it now and it's like, yep, still water in it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> still the lake. 70s lake had yeah. bell bottoms on and yeah. then the current lake has got like, I don't know, like Jordans. I don't know. What, what do people wear now? They wear it's like Jordans. peace, love, swim on the dock, you know? Yes, exactly. It's got an Instagram filter over it. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, very good. Do you, do you want to try to do the other synopsis? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to uh, give a little synopsis uh, from my POV just to kind of go through the major beats of the movie. So this is where we get really, really spoilery, but, um, you know, we'll see how this goes. I'm going to read it now in my voice, which is, uh, coming out of my mouth. It's just <laughs> delightful. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Why? Thank you. Jen. Uh, okay. So the story here, uh, and let's scare Jessica to death focuses on a, in my opinion, gorgeous and creative woman named Jessica played by Zora Lampert. Her, I second that. Yes. She's just, she's just a hottie. Uh, mm -hmm. her schlubby hubby, Duncan, played by Barton Heyman. I say that out of resentment for him over the course of this film. I mm. thought he was hunky. Okay. Well, you think he's hunky? I think he, uh, I disagree. <laughs> no, what disagree. is the hunky one? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I was going to say, what is hunkier uh and and their their weird hippie friend who's there for no discernible reason Woody, um played by Kevin O'Connor. Yeah, it's like his his presence there just befuddles me in many ways. Um <laughs> And uh, so all this is happening after Jessica has been released from an institution following the death of her father and an undefined nervous breakdown of some sort. So from this point, they've decided to escape the urban blight of NYC and buy a totally not creepy, definitely not haunted home in the New England countryside. Because, like, that's what you do when you're dealing with mental issues. You just are like, let's go to the creepy fucking isolated mansion. Yeah. Um, great idea. <laughs> so... They travel there in a totally non-symbolic hearse with love <laughs> painted on the side. The word love is painted on the side. And they eventually reach the farmhouse after encountering an assortment of ominous local yokels. Um, there they find a redheaded hippie chick named Emily, played by Mary Claire Costello, squatting in the farmhouse. Generous Jess offers to let her stay the night. Um, and this kind of kicks off the, the action of the film. What commences is an atmospheric and meandering storyline with lots of uh, mid-autumn swims, something I just really locked in on. I'm like, they're going uh -huh. swimming. There's 
red foliage. It's got to be called uh, increasingly creepy townsfolk encounters and sort of a psychosexual drama between the four virile young cast members. <laughs> Um, and though Jessica, uh, sorry, through Jessica's internal monologue, yeah, I'm reading my own <laughs> shit and I'm <laughs> fucking it up. Um, I am so professional. No. <laughs> um, through Jessica's internal monologue, we learn of her marital anxieties, that she sees a mysterious blonde girl wandering around and thinks she might be having another meltdown and really that she fears being perceived as crazy. Uh, it's kind of a recurring theme that I noted. Um, mm-hmm. Emily turns out to be a vampire of sorts named Abigail Bishop, who's the daughter of the original owners of the 19th century house they're inhabiting, the Bishop House. Turns out she drowned on the lake out back on her wedding day and now haunts the house and the town. All the creepy townsfolk are in her thrall and bear the marks of her bites. Sorry, I just wanted to get dramatic there. I kind of also love that all the townsfolk were like 80-year-old men. Yeah, they're all like VFW hall, like Mm. drinkers. And it's like, Mm -hmm. they're just the creepiest. I love, I actually really love that touch because it's not what you would like expect from a movie like this. It's a a town of Abraham Simpsons, basically. Yes, they're all just like, I guess the vampire. <laughs> when yeah. I'm a vampire and making minions, I'm going to pick hot minions. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah, gonna I don't want these, these guys <laughs> in like either shiny vinyl or uh, nylon Ooh. jackets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just sitting on a porch looking tired. Um, so in, in the course of the, the film, Emily slash Abigail seduces and kills everyone around Jessica, dot, dot, dot. Or does she? Ooh kind of the central theme here is that is what we're seeing literally happening or is it a reflection of the demons that haunt Jessica that's the central question posed by the film which ends on a hallucinatory and uncertain note with Jessica alone in a canoe the lone survivor of a real and or figurative vampire attack nice yeah so that's kind of what goes down yeah I like it um so the next thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about kind of doing a feelings check-in. Um, when we talk about mental health and just our emotions, it's important, I think, to kind of analyze how we're actually feeling about things. So how did each one of us feel when we were watching this movie? So, Mike. So I found that, like, I really love this movie. And like I said before, it wasn't always the case. Like, I liked it. I understood its importance in the genre. But I found myself going, like, this is going to get added to the yearly rotation. I can see popping this in every October at this point. Um, I found myself hyper aware of like Duncan's treatment of Jessica and the kind of impact that was having on her mental health. Um, specifically the car ride home um, with the antique dealer where she calls him out for interrupting him mid story and how like Duncan kept minimizing Jessica's feelings Um and basically how that really destroyed her. Like you could just see the impact in her on how his treatment of her was really having this negative effect on her overall. And I just found like a lot of the themes of the movie overall, like you, it's like you said, there's, they're in a hearse with love painted on it. It's obviously coming at the like tail end of the free love generation. We're mired in <laughs> Vietnam at much. the time. Um, and you have these two gentlemen that aren't quite hippies, like they're still they're a little bit too old and they're almost like those kind of middle aged dads that would hang out at the warp tour, like not know when <laughs> to kind of turn things mm-hmm. over a little bit. And um, I found that like really fascinating to kind of watch and also like odd bits of humor. Like we talked about the old men. There's this one point where um, they ask, like, you know, can you 
tell us where the antique store is. He's like, well, I certainly wouldn't tell you people. And it's like, really? Like, there's nothing wrong with them on the outward appearance. So it's just oddly funny to me overall. Um, So I kind of like really enjoyed it. I found myself really engaged with it this time around. Laura, what about you? Yeah. um, So I had a strong like sensory memory of this movie, mostly like I I remembered less so the literal sequence of events than the mood that it depicted and the mood, like how I felt watching it, which is like really dreamy and weird and unsettling. And I think that that stuff just still definitely rang true. Um, I really enjoyed the atmosphere. I think overall this wins points for atmosphere. Like if you're into like creepy sort of gothy ghost movies, like this is the one or vampire or whatever, this is the one to go with. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree completely with what Mike just said about being hyper aware of the treatment, you know, of, of, of Jess, Jess with her husband, um, Duncan. Like, I think the last time I saw this was at a different point in my life and I've just had more life experience now and I, and like been through more relationships and more weird dynamics with people. And I was like, Oh, for fuck's sake with these guys and this, well, you know, so (laughs) I mean, just the, there is definitely a, a a gender tension going on here. Um, and I feel like Jessica is just treated with misogyny and it really made me squirm while I was watching. Um, I think it's, something that's both important to the narrative and not really fully explored. And I think that that tension might be coming from the fact that it was made by a male director. And I don't necessarily know that it was his intent. Um, He also pretty much wrote the screenplay. He rewrote it based on an earlier draft. And it sounds like from what I read, completely changed the narrative. Uh, I don't know that he had fully intended to explore the ways that women are oppressed in relationships and how like women's mental health is belittled or, you know, where that, that tension is. And then I think that, but I think it's definitely in the movie. Um, and I will say also, since seeing this the first time I've had like a huge fantasy about being the writer director who would get to remake it. And I was like, mm. I couldn't really remember why I like locked in on that idea so hard. Um, just that I thought there might've been room for improvement in a fresh perspective. I still definitely feel that way. I think this would be a really good movie to be remade one, because it deserves to be seen more broadly and be revisited, but it also should be reimagined by a woman, not necessarily me. But if anyone <laughs> wants to pay me to do that, I am available. <laughs> but it should be Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. So that's so interesting. And I cannot believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But I did not pick up on the misogyny. I didn't pick up on the treatment, like how Jessica was treated, which is... I'm. And I think partly it's because I didn't know what was going to happen. And yeah, so I was sure. kind of along for the ride. But I think, like, I was watching this in a point in my therapy life where I really, I really identified with Jessica in this movie and especially the themes of like not trusting your sanity, you know? Yes. I will say I I do. I definitely identified with that as well. Mm -hmm. I think I got distracted by the misogyny line of thought, but like, I think Jessica still is a great character and I super identify with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it was funny. Like I was thinking now that I hear you guys saying this and I can't wait to like talk more about this, but I think like I the, just this week was in therapy thinking like, or talking about like, when am I ever going to get past some of these things? So it's just kind of been like a week of, of me like spiraling and kind of beating myself up about like 
like just this perceived like blame that I think I'm taking on to myself, which is not justified. And I, do, I like when I can step outside of myself, I see, no, there's nothing wrong with having these issues. But it's just so funny, like the way I experienced this, I was like, oh, no, she's the one like she's she doesn't trust herself. She feels like she's broken. And I think a lot of that is just because that's how I've been feeling recently. You know, no, I think that's I think that is a huge theme in the movie. And I mean, the short film that I made called Shortly, she's all about a woman with it, living alone with anxiety who can't trust herself. And I wanted to play with that perception of like, when you don't trust your own perception, how that affects you psychologically. Like that's literally the whole point of that movie that I made. And so I was watching this going like, oh shit, I think I accidentally subconsciously like borrowed a lot from this movie when I was making that. Mm -hmm. So it's really funny that you say that. Cause like, I mean, I really think I internalized that. And especially in the way that it comes through in the atmosphere and the dread, you know, like how there's so much in common with not trusting yourself and with like the dread of a haunted house kind of movie, you know, mm -hmm. um, that like what's around the corner. Did I really see that? Is that really there or isn't it? I think that that is one of the major themes and probably like, you know, why we, why we chose this movie for anxiety consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of that that happens here. Yeah. One, well, of, the, one of the things I picked up on watching this again, is also this idea of urban flight that you have, um, Duncan and Jessica and their friend who looks a lot like a young uh, Rob Reiner uh, <laughs> fleeing New York City and you know this is during a period of time where you are seeing a lot of white Americans flee the city because they felt it was getting too quote-unquote urban i.e. there were too many like people of color moving into those right. spaces mm -hmm. so you're seeing this flee to the suburbs um, and that would be a trend that would continue overall. So I found that also like a very kind of interesting theme that wasn't necessarily explored with a lot of depth, but I thought it was definitely there to kind of look at and to examine. And then the other thing very quick that I noticed watching this is just how Jessica's whole demeanor would change when she felt like she was being believed. Like it would, if somebody did see what she did you could almost see like this sense of relief yes. wash yeah. over her that was something i wrote down like she was so when they first saw it who turns out to be emily she's mm -hmm. scared and then when she realizes somebody else saw it she's like yes yeah, somebody i'm not crazy somebody yeah. saw it and i also noticed that duncan immediately says don't worry i saw it too so mm -hmm. there was already this pattern because that's like we don't really find out what had happened why she was in the institution and I don't know if I'm saying that right or not. Um, but I don't she, think they make it super clear in the movie. It's like some kind of like vague reference to her having right. been in hospital or in an institution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would it be? Residential treatment facility now? Back then it would be um, an institution. Now it might be an inpatient facility. They still have like short term like inpatient facilities that folks can go through. Um, mm -hmm. And then she might go, I mean, you, to be quite honest, more often than not, it would be like a short term stay. And then she would just be released at that point. Um, mm -hmm. There might be like a residential program she would attend temporarily, or it could be kind of like a partial, what we call a partial inpatient, where you might go from like 10 in the morning to three in the afternoon, five days a week. But then you're kind of gone. I did that once. Okay. Yeah. It was great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, the difference is between what she might have been experiencing in the late 60s, early 70s versus now. Like, I know my, my grandmother mm -hmm. was 
multiple times institutionalized in the 60s for depressive episodes and she for the rest of her life refused to talk about it all she said is that she underwent shock therapy and that it was horrible and then she like never ever talked about it so it's very much she had that like classically bell jar Mm -hmm. experience of so i'm very interested in like again it's not really treated with depth in the movie i don't know that the writer you know john hancock the writer director was like really thinking about what Jessica might have just been through um, in a institution in the late sixties, early seventies. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm, fa- I'm fascinated by that little, all the little unexplored corners of this movie. Yeah. Cause they talk about her wanting to get away from doctors and that's really all they say. Mm-hmm. I will say I, when I, I think I went, I did what Mike was saying, the resident, the non-residential or partial mm-hmm. program. Um, it was probably about 10 years ago. Um, and it, I, th- it, it was my first experience with therapy. And so I think like it was, I had a really great experience. I did not like, I, I don't want to say I, I didn't want to be there. Cause you know, that's not how that works. But like I got on some medicine, I got to see an actual doctor and I got like some like basics, like this is what a drama triangle is. This is what these kind of like, it was really good. And then it started me a relationship with a doctor. So it was great. And I, I say that stuff because like, I don't want people to be afraid to go to therapy now because, or to do the kind of take, to take care of yourself in the way that you Mm -hmm. need to, because like there, there, therapy and mental health has a long dark history but I think we've come a long way you know yeah no I mean it's I I think that like I I will say just in general I'm a I'm such a huge advocate for therapy and I think that and there are so many great therapists out there like my therapist for sure saved my life and had had such a huge positive impact on me I don't think that means that there aren't there isn't a dark side to it, especially when we're looking back, like in anything through up, up and through the like eighties and nineties, we were involved in so much weird shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been listening to all this stuff about the satanic panic. So I got that fresh uh-huh. on my mind. And so uh, we could have a whole sidebar about that. Um, so, but yeah, no, totally. I th- and I think it's great that you're willing to share your experience, Jen. And like, I mean, yeah, like I, I, I think that having and and this is theme that plays out in this movie this feeling that you can't really share your experiences or that you can't really say how you're thinking and feeling leads to so much you know so much so much internalized anxiety and so much spiraling which we see Jessica go through in this movie and and feeling like at least not saying that everybody has to go out and like be super vulnerable and tell their stories but feeling like you can and that you can confide in people and be honest about how you're feeling is so important and it's something I'm really really passionate about which is why I'm on this fucking podcast <laughs> yeah me too because I feel like every time I hear like there are times in my life when I've been going through things and then 10 years later it's like the thing everybody's talking about it's like yep. where was all of this 10 years ago <laughs> I when I, I really needed to hear it and yeah that's the thing like I, I always feel weird saying this because I don't like want to have some savior complex but like if you know, if just one more person is talking about it, it helps, you know, because it's hard to talk about that stuff, you know? I think that's the whole point of like why we're doing the show, like as a therapist, um, you know, which is my role in professional life. Like I can't advocate for therapy enough. I mean, number one, it pays my bills. So please (laughs) go to therapy. Um, but it's, it's, it is something that I think there is a lot of stigma around it still. Um, 
there are these ideas around it that it is like you lying on a couch while like a dude in a tweed jacket with a bad goatee and a pipe like asks you about why your mother was so horrible Mm -hmm. and then doesn't respond with anything but like yes and then scratches on a uh, notepad with his pen there's that idea or um larry you mentioned like the satanic panic error and um this idea that like oh we're gonna bring up all these memories that may or may not like really you know exist we might implant something so that's not what therapy is all about so no yeah i love my therapist now Mm -hmm. i have gone to a therapist that i do not think was good and we Mm -hmm. stopped going to see her Mm -hmm. but yeah it's 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 not easy, but it, I, I always want to say this. It's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. So yeah. if you it's if you feel like you want to do it, don't be afraid. And, and what you just said is critical, like more than any sort of treatment. Like we're in it. We'll talk about different treatments people use and whatnot. But the most important thing is like, do you actually get along with one another? And uh, if, yes. you, if you don't like speak up, like give it. I tell anyone I see, give me like three sessions because you'll know by then whether or not that we're a good fit. And if we're not a good fit, like no skin off my back. Like I will totally find you someone else because it's not about me. It's about you getting what you need out of it. And it's so awesome that you do that. Cause I I've had so many conversations with friends and acquaintances that were like, well, I tried therapy and I didn't like the person and I just gave up and it's, it's easy to get exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I always say therapy is like dating. Like you have to find Mm -hmm. a good, somebody you vibe with. And you know, it's really all about that chemistry because you need to like look at someone's face and be like, yeah, I can open up to this fucker. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're just just not feeling it, you're never going to be truly vulnerable with them. And that's what you need. Because that's the point. Like, there are times when I, I will be sitting with my therapist and I'm like in my head, like, oh, I don't want to say this because she'll be upset or she'll be mad. And then I think, no, this is the point. If I can't say it here, like, when right. am I ever going to say it, you know? And so, yeah. But it's yeah. just, you know. And I find being on the other end of that, like, sometimes there are very difficult questions I have to ask or very difficult observations I have to make. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, ooh, if I say this, will this person come back? Like, what's going to happen? You know, like, will they be out the door? And that has happened. Like, there's been a couple times where that actually has happened. Um, But it had to be said. But most of the time, if you have a good relationship with the person that you're seeing, um, and that bond is strong, then it's something that you can sit there and process and work through. And you realize like, it's not my job to be their friend. It's my job to kind of help this person get through whatever they're kind of working through right now. Yeah. My therapist said at one point, I will manage my own boundaries. So don't worry about that. And it was such a huge relief. And I told her, Hey, can I see the clock? And that helped me a lot too. But like those things, like you have to feel comfortable doing those kinds of things with people. Um, Well, so the next thing on the outline was why do we choose this? And I think we've been talking about why we chose this because it just, this is like such a clear like depiction of the internal dialogue in somebody's head with my internal dialogue a lot of times like I think when we were having one of our first zoom calls um to like start planning this out I said at one point like okay stop be normal Jen and just kept talking (laughs) and I heard her do that and I was like gosh I say that over and over and over again and I just love that this it makes it clear in a way that I don't see in movies very often yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I was gonna say like because they made this choice for us to hear her internal monologue 
one of my biggest pet peeves in movies most of the time is like the narrator being like, well, that's when I was a young girl and boy, <laughs> times were simpler than like, I fucking hate a narrator, but mm-hmm. the way it's done in this movie is really unusual and it's much more sporadic and dreamy. And I, I, the, the thing that I saw in this that I've dealt with is intrusive thoughts. And that's something that I've had to deal with a lot. And, and I don't, you know, if that's a manifestation of my anxiety or it's something that happens a lot with like, you know, is diagnosed with OCD. Um, but you know, it's like getting those, those thoughts where you're just like, like for me, it would manifest in, in like thinking, you know, as an example is like, if I go walk down this flight of stairs, I'm, I, I'm going to fall down these stairs or I'm going to accidentally push the person in front of me, you know, and we're all going to go tumbling down. And all I could see was like the tumble of bodies at the bottom of the stairs or something. Um, and then there's a moment in this movie where she's, they're, they're having lunch and um, everything is going well while hippie Emily is like singing her little folk song on the guitar. But then she notices a little bit of flirtatiousness between her hus- her schlubby hubby <laughs> and the redheaded hottie. Um, and then she's clearing the dishes and she looks at the I think it's like tomato juice or something on the plate. And she's like, it's blood, it's blood, it's mm-hmm. blood. And like, that's mm-hmm. such an intrusive thought. And I was like, oh, shit, like, that's exactly like something you know, you're not having a good day, something pushes you in the wrong direction. And then suddenly it's the negative thought, negative thought, and it's all you can focus on. And you just can't, you can't just dismiss it. It's like it echoes and echoes and echoes. And I've never really seen that captured in a movie before. Yeah, Yeah. I wrote down that specific instance, too, because like the thought she has right before it, and it's a pretty innocent thing. Like he goes, he gets his stand up bass, and they're playing music together. And she immediately jumps to, like, he likes her. Like, without any evidence of any sort of um, flirtation, really, between the two of them, it's immediately, he likes her. And then, like you said, like, that it's blood thought over and over. And it was a really nice way to portray how anxiety can manifest itself in someone's brain. That it feels like you're kind of like a pinball careening around the machine and you're going from thought to thought to thought without any ability to control it at that point. Exactly. And it's like, I have literally never seen that done in a movie before. Mm -hmm. So if nothing else, this movie has has that. Yeah. And I love that because that's definitely something I've experienced. I read a book that called it Negative Interject, but I think it's the same thing. It's just these thoughts that just pop in and you can't like get them out. And one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about, because the next thing we want to talk about is like, what is anxiety and how does it manifest? And that's kind of what we were getting into. But like, Laura, we had talked a little bit about anxiety And I was talking about in therapy how the way you describe it affecting you is different than the way I experience it. And I don't I don't want to speak for you, but I think you've used the word general anxiety. Is that right? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety. I've been diagnosed with a few different things with like if, you know, you go from my therapist to a psychiatrist, like they've given me different labels. And I think it's, you know, I've gotten generalized anxiety and OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, So and like the thing that I don't really relate to with OCD is the um, obsessive or I'm sorry, the compulsive behavior. I have the obsessive thinking without the like rituals and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think I would generally more agree with my anxiety being more generalized and kind of diffuse and ever present and like a big tumbleweed that follows me wherever I go. 
Hmm. Yeah. Mine, mine, I think, is more because I don't have an anxiety diagnosis, although my therapist was really hesitant to diagnose me because I think she thought it would freak me out a little bit. Um, <laughs> and it kind of did, but I'm OK. Um, but I think mine is much more specific, like there are specific things that kind of kind of feed mine. Um, and so I kind of wanted to ask you, Mike, like, is there a difference between like generalized anxiety or are there other ways? Like I think of mine as trauma specific. I don't know if I just made those words. Up, I would but. say, yeah, the three most common things you would see would be like a generalized anxiety disorder, which I would describe as this inability to control your worry to worry about a lot of different things all at once um, and to have those worries manifest themselves for like long periods of time overall. Um, there would be social anxiety disorder, which would be you um, clam up in social situations, like you might avoid social situations because you don't um, want to be around them. You might think that if people get to know you, that they'll learn too much about you and then use those things they know to take advantage of you um, and that you might avoid situations where you might be the center of attention and then there would be like trauma specific like anxieties overall I mean there's a ton of different anxieties like that's just the tip of the iceberg right there I also thought Jenny just said something really interesting and something I would agree with like your therapist on like by uh, basically in order for us to get paid by insurance companies, we have to give someone a diagnosis. Yeah, that's what um, she said, yeah. Right, so I, and I'm sure, you know, without speaking for your counselor, I know that like, I try to look at the person and not the diagnosis overall. Mm -hmm. So yes, you might have all these like, warning signs of anxiety or depression, but those things might also be caused by something else, like an unhappy relationship, fear of failure in school, maybe you're going through something very specific at that time. Um, you know, it might be less about the anxiety itself, but more what are all the underlying causes of it. So like I try to tell every single person I work with, like I try to work with the person and not what like the diagnosis is on the page. Yeah, that's what my therapist said. My diagnosis is PTSD. And I will say now I'm glad that I do have that because for a very practical reason, when my therapist schedule changed and I need to miss work for therapy, I had a piece of paper that had this on it. Also, I get some reimbursement for how like like what you were saying, like your bills are paid like it's a, just a but I also think like there's a lot of there's a lot a big part of me that does not want to admit that there is anything that I have a mental illness. There's a big part of me that wants to say, no, I'm totally fine. And mm -hmm. so having that diagnosis, I think helps me take it more seriously mm -hmm. too, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did when the day that I got it, I sat in my car for about 20 minutes and I just kind of stared off into the sky for yeah. a little bit, but you know, it's fine now. I'm happy that I have it, but there's, there's a school of their treatment modality called narrative therapy. And the idea is the problem is the problem. So as opposed to saying like, well, I'm an anxious person, you say like, I'm a person with anxiety. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a way like we all kind of write our own life stories overall. And you kind of examine the problem from a different angle than you normally would. And don't treat it like it's a part of you. Treat it like it's a problem that can be solved. And I was going to say, I think part of the struggle with accepting a quote-unquote diagnosis is that we've been taught through culture and through people in our life and just generally more our culture that having these 
di- like having this diagnosis, some kind of psychiatric diagnosis makes you like a crazy person, like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then that it, it, it depicts some fundamental weakness that can't really be cured or like was always going to haunt you, which is just a misnomer and, and, a, and a way that we look at you know, mental health from, in our, you know, from a Western perspective, something I've picked up on from therapy and that she didn't call it narrative therapy, but she does say we all write our own narratives. We write our own stories. And so to say like, you know, I, she always says like, you know, don't try to resist your anxiety, say hello to it, acknowledge it, and then let it go. You know, like if you're having those moments, you know, like don't, don't, if you try to resist and say like, no, 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 this isn't a thing. I'm not really dealing with it. Or like, no, you just got to ignore it and get through your day. Mm -hmm. It festers inside of you. And and I think, yeah, I remember when I first got into therapy and having those diagnoses, it was just so weird because it just was weird, you know, like, and then Mm -hmm. it was like, Oh God, is this going to follow me around? Like, I remember, you know, somebody telling me like, Oh, you'll never be able to do the Peace Corps, some of these volunteer projects and things, because it's going to be this like black mark on your record. And like, that may or not be true. I don't know. I never tried to do the fucking Peace Corps, but I thought about (laughs) it, but I was too scared. Um, But, you know, like, that's like, that's like a really bizarre thing in our culture that is really not cool. And that, mm-hmm. you know, like it should never be seen as a, a black mark. That's exactly how we've gotten here and have so many maladaptive things in our culture, right. you know, yeah. and it, it's like, it, I love that narrative therapy idea. I, exactly I think, why well, I want to do the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what that ties into when, in terms of the movie, like there's that bedside conversation between Jessica and Duncan that I think is like, that's kind of, to me, the turning point of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I thought, you know, like Duncan's not the best. And I think, but I thought even when he was wrong, it felt like he had his wife's best intentions at heart. And it came down to maybe not really understanding what she was going through. Like he treated her like a glass doll during a lot of the movie, like really worried that she was Mm -hmm. going to break. But the conversation that he has with her in bed where he's like, will you just shut up? They'll hear you. Mm. Um, And it was, it was like this thing that you want to like put in the closet and ignore completely. And it was no longer about, I think he even said to her, like, I can't deal with this anymore. And like, he made it about him, which is what a lot of persons who, you know, have mental illness worry, like, how is this going to affect everyone around me? And are they going to leave me? Am I broken in some way? Yeah. And I I mean, I, that's like a scene that I have lived with somebody telling me like, go fix yourself. Like it's you, you're the problem. Like, you know, not acknowledging that relationships are a two way street Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's so that I found that to be a really powerful scene. It's probably why I resent Duncan so much because I was just relating a little too hard to my own personal experience in that moment. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought that that was a really well done scene in terms of and like like she's yeah he, I think he says like they'll hear you and she says like who fucking cares or something right. and I was like and that's the thing about Jessica in this movie is you really see I think that is a turning point in the movie and that where she really decides to start fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like she is not trusting herself throughout the first half of the movie. Is this even really happening? That doesn't really go away, but she really starts to fight it when yeah. shit starts getting real. And in, by real, I mean, oh, there's actually a vampire. <laughs> like, right. yes. um, you know, like that's I think she does. You see her sort of start to make the choice uh, to, to really fight. And I really like that about the depiction of her character. So much yeah. of Lambert's performance, too, throughout 
the first two thirds of the movie, she's presented really childlike and yeah. the relationship with her and Duncan and her. And I can't think of like the Rob Reiner Woody. stunt double Woody, um, Sheriff <laughs> Woody. Um, they are almost like the surrogate family where like Woody and Duncan are the parents and Jessica is like you see like these little moments where she's almost like giddy and the way she runs. It's kind of like watching a little girl run. Like when they first get to the cemetery so she can do her sketches. Yeah. So they almost like infantilize, infantilize her in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. Um, and not not really kind of let her act like she has any of her own agency. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that that really verbalizes what was making me squirm. That squirm when I said like, oh, they were being misogynistic toward her. I think, I, I think it's more accurate to say they were treating her like a child and it felt mm -hmm. creepy and weird because mm -hmm. then the next scene they're like having sex or whatever. Yeah. And I was like the whole thing, their whole relationship gave me an icky feeling. And mm -hmm. I think that that's why I think that yeah. really nails it. Yeah, there's a, I think it's the short story, uh, Sometimes They Come Back in Night Shift from way back. Well, actually around this time period. Um, and he's talking about, it's so funny, the, the like 70s therapy terms they use, like being in analysis or like encounter groups, you know, that always kind of makes me smile. Um, also, when Stephen King talks about being in high school and there being like smoking sections and like, yeah, oh, that's interesting. But <laughs> he's talking, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But he's talking about like having a breakdown is like a, a vase breaking and you glue the vase back together, but you're always afraid that if you put any water in the vase, the glue is going to dissolve. And that has stuck with me since I was probably a child um, and uh, way too young to be reading that story, by the way. But that's kind of <laughs> what I, I was thinking, because I think I was looking at it as like the vase and like, yeah, they need to be very careful with me. I need to, because I can't handle having any water, you know? And that's like, when I step outside of myself and I hear myself say that, I'm like, yes, you can fuck that, you know? But I think I just, I think they presented her fragility like so well, you know, and mm -hmm. how everybody just bought into that narrative, you know? Um, but so let's talk about a little bit about what anxiety is and how it manifests so we kind of in the spirit of not putting this like in the closet or not trying to hide it from um, um, from Woody who's upstairs you know so <laughs> yeah Mike tell us a little bit about like just in general what is it and how does it manifest so I'll talk about the cycle of anxiety really quick and how it becomes this thing that gets repeated over and over again so Initially, you'll have like a situation that'll produce like symptoms of anxiety. It might be around being around certain people. It might be test taking. You know, it might be fear that you're for whatever reason, like your relationship is dissolving. Um, but your symptoms will start to produce themselves. So you'll start to have this like uncontrollable worry, this thing that you just cannot get your mind around and it starts careening all over the place. You might have these physical symptoms like your heart is pounding or just this general feeling of being really overwhelmed and unable to move forward. Like I know for me, if I feel anxious, like my legs get really heavy. Like all of a sudden really? I can barely start. Like it feels like my legs have like these cinder blocks tied around them. Um, so you start to have those symptoms that start to express them uh, or manifest themselves. So what will happen next for a lot of folks that aren't dealing with their anxiety is they start to avoid anything that can bring on their anxiety. 
Um, so you have this thing like, well, if like seeing new people makes me anxious, I'll just never go see new people again. Um, and you see like some very specific ways in Let's Scare Jessica to Death where you start to see this avoidance. Um, specifically, they leave New York City and then they like go to move to the countryside with no real plan except to sell what's in the house for food. And they don't even know if there's an antique store in the you know, yeah. it's like super well by out. a roadside handbook right. of the area, you know, Jesus. Yeah. And they're super poisoning well their apples. <laughs> yep. So like, there is that what are you doing? the poison apples, the apples yeah. that can't be eaten as a yeah. go on. <laughs> yeah. But also just like avoidance from like shh, we don't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's another form of avoidance right there. And it works for a little bit of time. Um, like avoidance can also be things like, oh, I have a presentation at work today. I'm going to call out sick. Uh, or I've never I'm, done that. I don't know nope. what you're talking about. <laughs> never. Um, it might be um, like putting off like a big project you have until like right before it's due because you just don't want to get started on it. it have you just done like, that what I did for the notes for this <laughs> yes. podcast like Basically. today? Yeah. <laughs> um, so things like that. Or, you know, numbing your feelings through, like, drugs or alcohol. Like, it's just a way to kind of numb yourself so you can't feel. I've done Um, that. So, and that, you know, it can give you some short-term relief. Like, for a while, the anxiety will go away, the symptoms will lessen a bit. But it's really critical to note, like, it's only temporary. It doesn't fix anything because you haven't addressed the root causes of it. And you haven't given yourself any, like, coping tools to kind of move forward in the future. So instead of going away, like, your anxiety starts to grow, and it starts to do it with compound interest, basically. Like, the next time you experience anxiety, you experience it probably a little bit worse. And then you'll retreat. And it'll come back worse. It's kind of like throwing water on gremlins. Like it just starts <laughs> multiplying itself <laughs> at that point. So. Uh, yeah. So when we were, we just on the Horror Virgin, we just did an episode about um, 10 Cloverfield Lane and we were talking mm-hmm. about the cycle of abuse. And one of the things that we I found when I was doing some research is that as the cycle keeps going round and round, it gets shorter and shorter and it gets harder to get out of it. Is it that does mm-hmm. it this kind of function the same way? It can. I mean, there's no, like, everyone experiences it a little bit differently, but I would say it's a pretty common thing. It's like the things that you do to avoid your anxiety stop working. Like, those, mm. like, quick fixes no longer work as well anymore. It's, it work as well anymore. Like, they just don't have the same effect. For some people, it might be, like, it takes me a lot longer to get drunk, basically, at that mm. point. Or, you know, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't numb those feelings anymore. It just kind of brings them out at that point. So... You know, or even if you procrastinate, you still worry the whole time about now you not only worry about the project, but you worry about worrying about the project. Things mm, like that. Mm-hmm. Again, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never experienced that. Um, can I can I quickly read a little quote that it's very, very short, I promise. Um, yeah. There's from this author named Andrew Solomon, who wrote a book called The Noonday Demon um, about his struggles with depression. Um And I think that this quote, it always pops into my head about anxiety, but it's true of anxiety and depression. And he actually wrote it about depression, but I think it really epitomizes what you were just saying. Just that he says this about depression, but um, that it's tumbleweed distress that thrives on thin air, growing despite its detachment from the nourishing earth. Um, And that's, to Mm. me, I think applies really well both to depression and anxiety. And it's just this image of the tumbleweed that's just like growing and growing or Mm. like the snowball gathering size, you know, to me really um, 
exemplifies that feeling. So I just wanted to share that like a yeah. cool guy. <laughs> Interesting. That's, i never thought about it like as a, a as a tumbleweed, but I could definitely see that. And one of the things I think is interesting about doing this is like, we're each talking about how, like, like you're talking about your legs feeling really heavy mm -hmm. and it just, mine feels totally different. And I think it's just fascinating how everybody kind of experiences it differently. You know, it's different reactions in the sympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system, just like freaking yep. out as like, you know, as your, as your different systems are thrown out of balance. Um, yeah, I'm fine. Like I, I, I get a weird feeling in my armpits specifically, mm -hmm. and it feels like it's going from my armpits down to my sides and like, it's like an ache, but then I get sweaty and then I get tingly, you know? So who the fuck knows your brain firing off in yeah. 8,000 different ways. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, so that's what we're not supposed to do. <laughs> or that's the <laughs> negative cycle. Right. So Mike, can you tell us what, so you have the word, you've said, use the word treatment modality. So what mm -hmm. exactly is a modality? And can you tell us a little it's, bit about? Yeah, it is a, um, the style of treatment you would use. So there's obviously with counseling, there are a lot of different ways that you can approach counseling overall. There's like um, Carl Rogers and person-centered therapy, which is basically um, universal positive acceptance of the person you're sitting across from. Um, it can It's awesome because the person you're sitting with, like you're giving them a lot of encouragement, a lot of warmth, and a lot of acceptance. It can also drive people up the wall because you're not really supposed to answer any questions. Um, like a person will be like, blah, 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 what should I do? And you'll be like, mm -hmm. it seems to me like you really want me to answer what you think you should do in this situation right now. And then mm -hmm. after a little while, um, they just want to strangle you. Basically. Yeah, I was about to say, this would lead to yeah. me assaulting my therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when like um, I was going through grad school and we were covering this and my wife was messaging me and I tried this out and she was like, cut this grad school shit out. Like just basically... <laughs> You know, um, but, yeah. you know, you can adapt that anyway. There's cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what I would say probably one of the more common ways that we um, um, you things we use in treatment now. There are, you know, so it's basically what you're just like I mentioned, narrative therapy, mindfulness. Um, it's basically what you're using as a therapist to work with a person. Hmm. It's funny you say, like, I have specifically asked my therapist, tell me what to do. And like, there was a long time where I yeah. wanted her, I was like, there's going to be some magic phrase mm -hmm. and she's going to say it and it's going to click. And like, I used to draw yeah. this little heart on my hand. And I think I talked about this in the last episode and I noticed I've stopped doing that just because I've stopped mm -hmm. doing a lot of things since we've been stuck inside. But like, I kept trying to figure out what it was, what was the magic, mm -hmm. like secret, the secret to unlocking like my, mm -hmm. my wellness you know and it just doesn't exist you know no. or it's going to be different every time and I finally like now I'm to the point of like I'll say I really want you to tell me what to do I know you're not going to mm -hmm. and that's okay because the point is like she can't like what we were saying we're all it's all manifesting differently so even mm -hmm. if she had the exact same diagnosis as me mm -hmm. her solution is going to be different than mine and yeah. this month it might work and next month it might not you know yeah. I, th I think in those different modalities also you get different tools and strategies and one set might work for you and it might work for a while and then stop mm -hmm. working. I think like cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, is interesting because it kind of comes with like worksheets. Mm -hmm. um, it's very like here you make, you're going to write these things down and, and you're going to do this little, this little spreadsheet that tells you like, this is how I react. And then this mm -hmm. is how I'm going to react next time. And this is, you know, and you, for a while I found that kind of thing really helpful. And these days I'm just like, 
fuck that. I don't want to do that. I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, I don't, these things sort of lose their potency over time, at least in my case, maybe Mm -hmm. other than some people, like I did that a handful of times and then I just internalized it and it's, it's really helped me. It's, it's so complex. Um, and sometimes you do need to shake it up or find a different set of tools. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my most, experience. I, I would say, especially like I'm a newer counselor overall, overall, and I would say most of us tend to be kind of eclectic. Like we pull from a different grab bag of tricks overall. Um, and tr- like we said, like we try to treat it for like that kind of person, like cognitive therapy might not be the best solution for this person who comes in with the same sort of issues as the next person you see. So you might use person centered for that, or you might use mindfulness for that, or you might use like, I've had people come in and and have been like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, why was I born? Why am I here? So you start to get into existential therapy, which is Mm -hmm. not quite my bag, but you know, you try (laughs) to roll with it a little bit. Uh, And you know, to your point, Jen, um, your therapist or anyone could spend 24 hours a day with you seven days a week and they're still never going to know you better than you know yourself so you know like we're definitely not in the advice giving business you know (laughs) we're not um we're definitely not like dear prudence or dan savage you know giving out dispensing advice like do this because but we're there to because we're there to kind of help you go like i should do this and then yeah. Be like, great, go and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like there's an empowerment in that now that I'm kind of over that just wanting the solution, because really what that was, was me not wanting to struggle with it, mm-hmm. you know, and like she's talked about, you don't walk into the woods for five years and then go out in a weekend. And that's me wanting to like take a helicopter out of the woods mm-hmm. and just skip over all of the hard parts. Yeah. And it's just, you can't do that, you know? And I was listening, like, I'm looking at all of this and I think you're right about maybe it's just my therapist being eclectic. Like, I don't know what modality she's really using mm-hmm. with me. Like, I know she's got some tools that we use mm-hmm. a lot that w- work, but it's, like she just listens and then we mm-hmm. kind of go from there you know yeah and that's sometimes what it is sometimes it's 45 minutes of someone giving you like an information dump yeah and then they're like i feel a lot better you know and then they yeah. can go out and face the world and it's like and i personally love clients like that like they come in ready to go <laughs> and it's like you sit down like and i'll be like how was your week and then it's like boom and then they'll like <laughs> They'll ask a question and then answer it. And you could see like them working on things that we've talked about before and how it plays out in front of them. And it's like, it's the easiest 45 minutes. It's (laughs) awesome. It's really great. Well, do we see Jessica really kind of using any strategies or modalities or anything in the movie? I was thinking through, like, as you were talking about it, I was like, I don't know if I really see the work, Mm -hmm. you know? She's, I mean, and I see her responding to a crisis. Like, I don't know if she's like applying tactics or like coping mechanisms per se, but I, I do think that like we were talking about the turning point of the movie where um, she gets into the big fight with Duncan. And then the next day he goes to town and um, that's sort of where things start to get really wiggity weird. Um, mm-hmm. It is like, a, and it's kind of revealed that Emily really is this vampire. Like she ends up, um, Woody's been trying so hard to get in her pants the whole movie and it's just mm-hmm. not happening. And she's been mm-hmm. kind of toy- toying with um, 
with him and we can there's another sidebar to be had about the portrayal of emily in general and her vampirism and her femininity and it, you know mm-hmm. what all that means and that from the male <laughs> perspective whatever i'm getting ahead of myself the Jess, jessica though like um she's you know she's been increasingly sure through looking at that portrait that reappears in the attic that like oh something's weird with Emily and I think she's, she might be like a vampire <laughs> crazy, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause she's seen a figure in the lake and she's, she's just putting all the pieces together. Um, and there's that whole sequence where Emily and her go out to the lake and go swimming. And it's, to me, it's like the most psychedelic dreamy, creepy mm-hmm. sequence in the movie where, uh-huh. you know, she pushes her into the lake and then tries to, to drag her down. And when she reemerges, she's in the wedding dress and she goes and she bites Jessica on the neck. Like that whole sequence. Oh my God. I get, I have goosebumps. It creeped just, me out. It was so a very creepy scene. Fucking oh, creepy. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I just, the way it, and it was shot so simply, like there weren't really any tricks to it. It was just, this is what's happening. And then when she comes out of the water, just like poetically mm. shot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But basically like, you know, she starts to run and it's like, it's almost like this moment of crisis where she's really being forced to fend for herself and, the husband literally is gone, right? Like he's mm-hmm. literally off in town somewhere. Woody is dead. Um, she, like we were talking about before about them being these sort of surrogate parents and treating her with such fragility. But when she is forced to fend for herself, she really, we see her gain strength that she may have not known that she had. Um, and by the end of it, like she's really the only one left standing. And I, I think there's, and I, I may be getting the slight, order of events a little fuzzy in my head because I watched this movie like two days ago and apparently <laughs> that's how good my memory is now. It's just, just it, all a big mush. Well, that's um, everybody right now, I feel yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all struggling. Um, mm-hmm. But 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 basically, at some point, um, uh, dunk, dunk, Dunky Boy, hub, Hubby <laughs> hubby man comes back and they like get in a bed together or something and then mm-hmm. like all the weird old guys from the town are in the bedroom yeah, yeah. And it, which is another like horribly yeah. creepy rapey feeling sequence it's a weird key little, party man yeah, it's it's, yeah exactly it's a lemon party um but, yeah, like, <laughs> it's disgusting um but she basically you see her almost succumb to this this like she's just gonna lay there and take it and then she's like fuck this and like gets up and 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 runs off again and you really to me that whole sequence that's the other thing that i wanted to point is when she comes back she's you're it's a little on the nose like you're hearing um you're hearing emily slash abigail whispering and she says something that's like it's very on the nose for me with like mental illness and that self that self-narrativizing where she says you know, like, I'll never leave you, Jessica. I'm in mm-hmm. your blood. I'll never go mm-hmm. away. I'm in your blood. And it's mm-hmm. like the vampire as the analogy or the metaphor for mental illness is very. Right. And so this whole sequence is like her going, she's really facing it. She's really looking in the mirror and going like, this is the shit that I have to deal with. And then she makes that choice to fight. Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's a really great moment for Jessica's character. Like, I think the director is trying to portray her as this like unreliable narrator like we don't know if it's real or true but i'm like that doesn't matter right. what matters is how we see her responding to this these events and she's responding with strength that no other character possesses and mm-hmm. it's because of what she's been through and it's because of those cracks in the vase that she's able to say like fuck this and really fight for mm-hmm. her life and i think that's really powerful and it kind of stands despite other sort of 
flaws the movie might have, I think that that's really a powerful takeaway for me anyway. Yeah. It's what I want to take away from it. Yeah. One of the things that's on display throughout like the third act of this movie is Jessica's resiliency. Uh, like uh, Larry, you just put it like as her strength that that's, that's absolutely correct. Like Jessica's biggest strength is her resiliency and it's what Woody and Duncan never acknowledged in her and never gave her credit for. Um, you see how, and also her self-advocacy, like when um, she doesn't want to go in the lake, you know, and she gets dumped in and it's a pretty terrifying moment for her, but she's like, look, get away from me. Like she doesn't just give in. She doesn't succumb to it. She's just like, let's get the hell out of here at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm getting out like this is not for me. You see her like when Duncan leaves and at this point, like Duncan has cheated on her with Emily. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, he's kind of given into temptation and Jessica sees that. Uh, but when Duncan doesn't come back, she doesn't sit there and wait for him like a wallflower. Like she actually hitchhikes into town um, and, you know, goes to try to confront him at that point. And she mm -hmm. confronts like the creepy old dudes mm -hmm. as well. That was town. really interesting. To yeah. You. Yeah. There's this like strength in her and this resiliency in her that others haven't acknowledged, but is definitely part of her makeup. Yeah, there's a. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's a saying in AA, which is something that I've also have some experience with, is like you you get to a point where you can be grateful for the the things that you faced mm -hmm. and overcome. And it, the saying is living life by life's terms, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of the things, I think kind of what I was talking about at the beginning is sometimes I'll be driving down the street and I'll see a couple and they're just holding hands. And they just look happy. And I think, God, what would it be like to not have any problems, to just be happy? And there was a moment when I was on some antidepressants that did not end up working out for me. But I just remember, I was like, oh, this is what happy is, you know? And I think, like, sometimes I get so, like, jealous of people that haven't had some of the experiences that I've had. But then I think, like, but I... Like I have overcome, you know, and as much as like we can talk, we might talk a little bit about my scar thing later, but like those are signs that you are still here and that you do have that resiliency within you. And like mm -hmm. that is when I can step away from the emotion of it, I can be really proud of myself and think that would have that may have taken somebody else down and I'm still here, you know. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think that's that's one of the best things therapy can do for you is mm -hmm. making you realize your own resiliency. Right. Um, and I also have that thought like at least once a day where I look at other people and I'm like, fuck you, you fuckers, you fucking happy yeah. fuckers. And like, oh. <laughs> every day. It's like, but then I, like I said, it's like these thoughts occur to me yeah. and then I go, yep, there's that thought again. Goodbye. Okay. You know, let's Let's use social media as an example. Like I was talking with this about a, with one of my clients recently and she's like, you know, I go on Instagram and I see like all these other moms that are like posting all the shit they're doing with their kids for homeschooling right now. And like, then they're baking and then like they have a perfect, you know, like they're all dressed perfect and smiling right now. And you know, it just, am I doing enough? Like, why isn't my life like this? And I remember like, asking her i'm like well you post a lot on instagram like do you post yourself in like pajamas when you haven't like done your makeup and you just like woke up and haven't had coffee she's like no like i get all dolled up i do my makeup my hair i'm like oh so you're presenting like your best self at that point she's like yeah of course i'm like well what do you think they're doing Mm. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you're probably right, you know, so right. we're all hiding like, the stuff just out of, of frame, mm -hmm. yeah. the piles of literal 
human feces that flows so, Yeah. So it's yeah. important to remember that like we're always trying to project um this idea of wellness and strength and like there's no issues in our life, but you know, you never really know what the person next to you is really going through and what their struggles are. Exactly. Yeah. Like when it's hard it... being this handsome. I don't know. It's really... I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I was going to say something but I decided against it. <laughs> well, one of the things I think that's interesting that we're talking about this because in the first half of the movie before we have that turning point, one of the things that I really connected to with Jessica and noticed is like there's so much shame coming from her, you know, and like mm -hmm. the, you hear the negative interjects and you hear the, or the intrusive thoughts. That's like, no, don't tell them they'll never believe you or they'll, they'll think you're crazy. And I just, that's something that I really, um, I think that's a real thing. I've definitely experienced that a lot. Um, and it's just, you know, one of these days I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to not feel guilty about that. And I think that might be a specific thing to some of the trauma that I have, but you know, just that fear that everyone is going to find out, you know, that's, mm -hmm. I think that's, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just connected oh, I, to that fear, or that fear and shame. I see a lot, you know? Yeah. I think yeah. it's a really, I think it's a more common experience than it's like, like the Instagram thing. Like we're all, we're all sitting here feeling ashamed while everyone else is doing the exact same thing, but only showing this one side of ourselves, And mm -hmm. I think it's a really common human experience. And the more yeah. we talk about it, the more we can realize like, Oh, we're, we all feel like that. And there's right. really no reason to, because we're all just doing this to ourselves, like for yeah. no reason. Yeah, I know, um, right. yeah. I mean, we often like, it's, it's a lot easier for us to, I think often talk about what we feel is wrong with us and what our deficits are overall. Like, but you fe almost feel guilty if there's something you're really good at, if there's something that you find a strength, like actually bringing that up and mm -hmm. saying like, this is something I find comfort in. This is something that I find like brings me um, goodness and, and, and strength in my life. But it's easy to say like, you know, like, well, I'm that guy that like hides in the closet and eats a box of granola bars and like, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, yeah, you, you know. guys posted a thread a little while yeah. ago, like say something you're proud of. You, I can't remember yeah. how you worded it, but it was so yeah. hard for me to do that. You oh, know? Yeah. oh, my God, I can't. I hate compliments. I, d mm -hmm. I defer them uh -huh. via humor. I can't. I mean, I still struggle with that. Yeah. And like, I think it's again, it's also there's not to make everything a gender thing, but I think women are also very socialized to be like, mm -hmm. you know, D deferential and, and self-effacing and yada yeah. yada and then it's just, just say that. yeah so yeah. like I think that it's just just beaten into us to be to be humble yeah. to a, a potentially maladaptive mm -hmm. extent because what goes through my head when I say that, because I also have a problem when people apologize, but like when somebody gives me a compliment or when I say that I'm good at something, I think, yeah, but they're going to find out that you're not, you know, they're, mm -hmm. if, if you present this, they're going yeah. to see it as like a suit of armor that's got a chink. And once yeah. they see the suit of armor, they're going to try to find that chink. So yeah. I'm just going to hide, you know? Oh, I, I mean, I, it's hard for me to describe myself as a filmmaker. I say I've said it a few times in this podcast, but every time I say it, I feel a little sick because I'm like, I haven't made a film in like two years, mm -hmm, you know, like, mm -hmm. but I have made films before. Like, damn it, Lara, like you, you know, like you've done a lot, like, you know, so it's like, I'm a filmmaker, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. It's like, I have to like grit it out. And it's like, if I say it enough times, maybe I'll believe it. Um, I yeah. feel exactly the same way about writing. I'm like, mm -hmm. am I, and I mean, my job now is I have writer in the title, mm -hmm. but I still am like, no, not really, yeah. not really. Mm -hmm. 
This yeah. was my first year working as a school counselor and uh, you know, like the, my principal and administrator have been like really supportive and they'd be like, you know, it feels like you've been here 20 years. We can't believe it's your first year. And I spent like a lot of the year being like, today is the day I go in and they discover what a fraud I am. <laughs> like, you know, basically this uh-huh. is the day that I get found out basically. Oh, yeah. So imposter syndrome shit is real. Mm. Yeah. This is oh. the podcast where you guys find out that you two don't like me at all. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to cancel it. <laughs> no, Jen, I love you. Girl, Jen, you're oh. beautiful no and you're so cool. And I think Aww. you're great. Okay, there's going to be a compliment oh, corner you. where we all have to pump each other up, and then we all puke. And we're not, yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, and we do it right into the mics. It's going to be great. People are going to awesome. love listening to this. Hey, we're the only podcast doing that, okay? Yeah. It's like the fresh content. Um, well, so would you say that our mental illnesses were describing them as blood-sucking monsters? And yes. that's my clumsy transition into, like, using the theory of, or the metaphor of vampirism as a metaphor mm-hmm. for mental health. And Laura, I think you mentioned that a little bit earlier. I just want to m- talk about yeah. that a little more. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's what I was saying with the, like, I, I think that that's, that really emerges as the central metaphor for the movie. The thing that really hangs together and makes it work for me is, is that, like, it's a movie both about a vampire and about mental illness. And it reminds me a little of like, there's other vampire things, novels and movies that have explored this a little bit, like let the right one in comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Just that, that like idea of like what you, and it, and this doesn't really come up in the movie, but I think it's an interesting thing with vampirism in general of like having to invite them in. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and she does invite Emily to stay, you know? And so it's kind of like, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. She invites this this hippie chick to stay and then reaps the the punishment for it. And I think that there's something that works on a metaphorical level about that with mental illness as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's this idea too. Like this was a movie that it it used almost like the pre. Dracula version of vampirism where you would have this mysterious stranger that would come in um, the book that comes to mind is I think it's Camilla um, yes yes mm-hmm. it's noted as being a, an inspiration for this yeah. this movie so yeah. this idea that like the vampire would kind of drive or wedge through individuals and thinking it from like the the perspective of mental illness is how often like untreated or un misunderstood mental illness can kind of drive a wedge through even like the healthiest of couples overall like because it's one thing if you're kind of working through your own issues but if you're not feeling supported by the people that are around you or if you're trying to hide it from the people around you because you don't want to be discovered or found out how that can really destroy interpersonal relationships at that point yeah And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, is like the relationship between Jessica and Duncan, because when we were talking about avoidance, one of the times I saw avoidance was when she said, I think we should sleep separately tonight. And that's like, Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an escapist thing. Although part of me was like, oh, yeah, maybe she just doesn't really want to fight with him. But it is like, I think that's when the real fracture starts, you know. And my question when I was watching this was, does Duncan actually is he actually concerned for Jessica and want to take him to the ho- take her to the hospital because he's concerned or is he just can he just not handle it you know and i say that because like i have a lot of 
you know, I've been dealing with a lot of this and I also am married and it has affected our relationship a lot. And there's Mm -hmm. like this guilt that I have a lot of times, like I'm, I'm the broken part of the relationship Mm -hmm. and I, and, and that's hard. And like, I look at my husband who is great, but I also kind of what we were talking about earlier is like, nobody else is inside my head and nobody Mm -hmm. else. It's hard to describe how those things feel. And so it's hard for him to know what to do sometimes. And he wants to do the right thing and he wants to help me, but he's also a human being. And Mm -hmm. he also like, it's, it, that has been a, struggle and I just wanted I was looking at that relationship and I was thinking is he just over it or does he just not know what to do and then Mm -hmm. I that like kind of fed into a lot of my guilt because I was looking at seeing him look at Emily and thinking does he want Emily because she's easier because she doesn't Mm -hmm. have these problems and a lot of times I'll look at my husband and I'll think is he gonna leave me for somebody who's not who doesn't have problems you know Mm -hmm. and I say that, and I know he won't, and he walked into the room a little earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. I saw him pop up behind you. I know. Yeah. When we were talking about the mysterious stranger, like, that's yeah. when he yeah. walked in. I don't know, he was like a silhouetted figure in the in the background on the Zoom call. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and I think that, like, I mean, m- mental health issues are an incredible strain on relationships, and it's just because, like, this is life, and, like, you have to share a life with someone you're sharing in everything, and and... I don't think it can ever be understated what how challenging it can be. But it's like I said earlier, when someone told me, like, once, you know, you just got to go fix yourself. It's like, that's not how a relationship should work. And that's not Mm-mm. a healthy dynamic. It's like we're, we're as a partnership, it takes two to tango. And like, it's just it's a, if when you commit to someone, you're committing to face those challenges together. And it's it's a sign of strength in a person that you know, is willing to go on that, that journey with you. Yes, you have Mm -hmm. to do the work and be willing to do the work yourself. But like, that is the whole point of a relationship is to be supportive of your partner, regardless of of what they're going through. Um, Yeah, yeah, my my first experience with couples therapy ended with uh, it about two sessions in when my first husband, who's not my husband anymore, but he just was like, Nope, I'm not going to work on this. I'm over it. And it Mm -hmm. turned out like I went to that therapist like after we were divorced. So it turned Mm -hmm. out okay, but it was just like you've got to be in it together for it to work. We did couples counseling for a little while, and I remember going through it. My wife felt like I was always angry, and she was like, you know, he's angry right now. And I remember the counselor looked at her. He's like, this is like the least angry dude I've ever met. (laughs) Um, Like, she's like, do you feel he's really mad right now? And and she was like, yes. And I wasn't. But Mm -hmm. what I learned from it was like, all right, I'm not mad, but I'm coming off as it. If I can tweak like just do like a 10% adjustment of how I phrase something or how I use the language or just my tone overall, like maybe that'll like repair things. Versus just being like, I'm not angry. Like, what are you crazy? Like, you know, like that's, you're like, Oh, something in the way, whether I intended or not, something in your experience is interpreting this as anger. So that's the whole point is to turn a mirror on each other and be like, yep. Okay. Well, we got to just work on this, you know? So it was really eye opening to kind of hear that and be like, all right, well, because it just felt like (laughs) something where I could fix it. Um, I'm like, so it was just one of those things where you're like, and it's been great. Like, it's not perfect. I mean, there were definitely times where I'm like, Joel, like you're being grumpy. And I'm like, I'm not grumpy. I just haven't had coffee. Like, yeah. you know, it's just so, 
no um, relationship is perfect. I mean, if you have to right. live with another person, like, unless like, I think the mm-hmm. only perfect relationship would be like, if you're both filthy rich and both mm-hmm. completely autonomous and you can live mm-hmm. on opposite sides of a huge mansion mm-hmm. doing philanthropic things. Basically I'm just describing my <laughs> fantasy yes. and like, and we're both really handsome doctors. Wait, mm-hmm. are we both men now? Okay. I'm getting into a really deep fantasy that I have. Uh, Do you have a wall of windows that overlooks a pool? Yes, yes, and then I stand there and stare out pensively, and then my mm. lover comes from behind. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, this is getting <laughs> weird. I'm sorry, guys. This is a good bodice ripper right now. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, is- <laughs> so, Jen, you had asked whether or not Duncan was supportive or was just looking to kind of pawn her off on someone, and it, mm-hmm. I feel like it was kind of both. Yeah. But this was a real shift in the dynamic where it was kind of leaning towards, like, he had written her off by this point. And I think you see that in his actions through the rest of the movie. Like I felt like during the first stages of the movie, he was trying to support her as he thought he could. And that included times like, you know, saying like, Oh, I saw her too. You know, like trying to reassure her right away. Mm -hmm. Um, It was things like trying to steer the conversation in different directions when he mm-hmm. thought something might trigger her or break her in some way. Um, but he also, because he was repressing all of his fears about the relationship, because he was, because it's okay to go to someone who you're in a relationship and say like, hey, I'm really worried about these things mm-hmm. and have an actual conversation about it um, versus like you had said, Lara, like go fix yourself. Like that's not helping anybody. Yeah, um, It's always better to talk to your partner. And if you mm-hmm. can't talk about what's on your mind, right. then something has gone off the rails. Right. So, because he had not done that. And this was probably like a very clumsy first attempt to do so. But it was basically he had gotten to the point where he felt like maybe he needed a break from her at that point. Mm-hmm. Which maybe they shouldn't have isolated themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should have stayed where they still had friends and a support system. Yeah, mm-hmm. wild, wild thought. They shouldn't have yeah. sold all their possessions yeah. and gone to live in. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe don't buy a creepy murder house. And yeah. Then yeah. Well, and that's try the to, like, thing. Oh, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. And then just try to like become antique dealers with no... Yeah, I was not say. even knowing where the antique oh stores the, were. When you, when you buy a creepy murder house, it's like adopting a dog. You can't just return mm-hmm. that. That's your yeah. that's your, your yeah. pet now. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact that us adopting a dog was what I think ultimately was the straw that broke my first marriage is back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think that was the stressor that we just could mm-hmm. not overcome. <laughs> when you have to take responsibility for another creature, it brings up a lot of issues. Yeah, it really does. I, I think it's what saved our marriage. Really? really? Yeah, because like we were going to wait till we got out of a, a condo we owned and into a house. And she just kept looking at these pictures of little dogs. And I'm like, you really want a dog? She's like, yes. I'm like, will you take care of it? You know, will you feed it? <laughs> she's uh, like, all right, well, let's just do it. And like the dog uh, is awesome. And it definitely was like brought everyone together at that point yeah any big pivotal moment like that or choice can mm. be the, the turning point for better or worse you know for in, yeah. in, in anything in, no. in narratives yeah like movies or in real life <laughs> well it's interesting because you were saying mike you were like it, it, you want to steer her away and like try to like do the right things and i think i don't necessarily think there's some there's anything wrong with that because sometimes that is the right mm-hmm. thing to do but you just you have to have you have to try to understand what the yeah. problem actually is rather mm-hmm. like there is like what we were talking about in therapy there is no list of right responses you know mm-hmm. or there's no magic words like 
we've talked, like, if you just say these words before you say this thing, maybe I won't hear mm -hmm. the criticism in it, or maybe I won't yeah. feel like you're mad at me. And it just, you just kind of have to walk right. through it together. Well, and I think the issue with how he was doing it was he was removing her agency. Mm -hmm. Like he was doing, yeah. he was making the decision for her as opposed to like checking in yes. and asking what she needed at that point. Yeah. It was an immature response. He didn't mm -hmm. have the language or the vocabulary, whatever, to even have the conversation mm -hmm. with her. Cause it was like the seventies and fucking shit was stupid. No. <laughs> um, but also he might, but that, that happens today too. Sometimes people mm -hmm. just lack knowing how to even initiate these healthy conversations mm -hmm. exactly yeah well and so let's talk a little bit about emily because one thing that i thought was interesting too is jessica is the one that asks emily to stay and i wonder yeah. like mm -hmm. i th i have been thinking about that and when i was thinking about like is emily easier for duncan to be with there was part of me that was like, maybe she's presenting this as an alternative for him mm -hmm. in some like kind of deep seated way. I don't think she would ever come out and say that's what she was doing because there does seem to be jealousy, but she doesn't really seem to do a whole lot to try to keep them apart. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. There's, there's, there's a whole lot going on there. I feel like um, yeah. there's, there's a little bit of the subconscious. Well, maybe he likes her better than me and let's just see what, mm -hmm. how, how this plays out. Um, there's also like, is she attracted to Emily herself? Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a flirtation that, you know, because Emily is sort of cast as this seducer, um, uh, just to literally everyone around her. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of a strange character in that she doesn't, she's, you know, you could argue, well, you know, she's supposed to be a vampire. She's not really human. She's so she's kind of this like stock character. She's mm -hmm. the like, hey, what's up? I'm yeah. wild <laughs> and free. You know, I'm just a sexual object in every sense of the word, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But so so there's all but there is definitely like a, a flirtatiousness between those two characters that exists. And there has been some criticism of this film as being part of um the like lesbian panic lesbian exploitation in the in the in the tradition of like vampires mm -hmm. lesbos and things of that nature mm -hmm. i read one one crit one critical comment on it that was like really harsh on the movie but it was written i can't remember when it was written it was written at least a decade ago and it was kind of being very dismissive of this whole era of film i thought i thought well there are some valid criticisms here i think it was also perhaps a little harsh and too dismissive mm -hmm. and locking in on that in my opinion um, but I think that that, you know, that character of Emily is in this tradition of va one vampire characters two like, you know, free love hippie chicks and mm -hmm. then like the the vampire, like lesbian vampire film kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot going on there. And I, right. I, I kind of in my own notes, I wrote, why did she invite her to stay? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I just was like big question marks and I had no conclusion that I came to. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there, and I say this as a straight person, like I wonder if there's a reading of like the, the homosexuality as being the villain or like as Emily, not Emily, Jessica, like struggling with her sexuality with this yeah. character. And I, and I think that was part of the criticism of it was that it was like casting the, the potential gayness as a bad thing and as like a dangerous, like nasty thing. Like these, she's mm -hmm. like, let me rub the lotion on your back. And it's uh, all like, right. oh, no, these are giving me feelings, yeah. you know, right. like it's very, it's part of that, that whole, you know, and that that's kind of lurid and exploitative mm -hmm. and not really subtle in any way, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there is a way to read this movie as engaging in that tradition of, yeah. of gay panic. It felt more like an indictment on 
the like late 60s early 70s free love like hippie era overall Mm. like why would you let this person into your home you don't really know one another you have them just kind of being all open with one another and that openness is going to lead to issues down the road because there are moments when um emily is like surprisingly chaste Overall, like there's a point mm-hmm. where like her and Woody are fairly flirtatious with one another. And early on, he shoots a shot with her and she gently turns him down. And he respects that. Like he doesn't keep um, pressing himself on her. Mm-hmm. And then when she invites him for a walk, there seems like another moment. Um, and he goes for it. He again shoots a second shot. And she's like, why are you in a hurry? Like, yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Like, just make it. He does. Like, he actually does wait for her overall um Mm -hmm. so there's there are moments when like she's like surprisingly chaste as well i also read that as like she was purposely toying with woody because she wanted to seduce jessica's husband and she wanted to kill like i read that as like her character just kind of like Mm -hmm. weaving this emotional Mm -hmm. web of just you know confusion Mm -hmm. over this group of people in order to cast um in, in order to drive a wedge between the friend group to make woody jealous and then you know so i i felt like her she was playing the vampire in mm-hmm. every sense as mm-hmm. just like a pure villain, but right. yeah, you can but read you, it a few different ways. You also see, um, see it as a moment when he, where she is like driving that wedge between them again, because at one point, like Woody confronts her and is like, I see what you're doing to my friends, like knock this shit off. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment where like a good friend would be like, you know, like you got to go beat pavement. You're out of here at this point. Um, and she's like, well, don't you still want me? He's like, well, of course I do. So, you know, he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth at that point. Isn't that the scene where she then like lays it on him and then kills him? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But here's the thing that I think is really interesting about this is what we understand about vampires. Like I never would have pinned this as a vampire movie if the townspeople had not said the word vampire, you know, Mm -hmm. because one, she's in the day all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so weird because it's like, it's, it's almost like a metaphor for vampire without actually being a vampire. And the thing that makes her a vampire is just this feeding on other people, you know, and which I think is a great metaphor for the mental health aspect of it, you know? Yeah, it's it's definitely playing a little looser with the vampire myth as we understand it in Western culture. It's like there's a lot of vampire-like myths and creatures, like especially in Slavic folklore, which I took several classes on in college because I didn't know what I was majoring in. That sounds <laughs> like, really cool, though. Oh, yeah, we had like a Slavic and Ukrainian folklore class and then like a Germanic fairy tales class. And I'm like, why am mm. I taking these things? This is why I'm a super senior. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, is that in a, in a lot of like Eastern European folk tales, vampires aren't necessarily only coming out at night. They, they have a lot of different like shapes that they take. And I think that this mm-hmm. was playing with just a lot of different takes on the vampire than what we're used to seeing. Um, but I think the essential elements of vampirism are there, but it's definitely not what you would expect. And I, and I think that that leads to, that plays into the movie's uncertainty where you're like, what the fuck is going on for the mm-hmm. first two thirds of the film? Yeah. Um, and I really liked that about it too. And I mean, even for the entire thing, I love that we don't like, they don't ever answer the question. Did this actually happen? And I think mm-hmm. Because, like, when I think about my process in therapy, I think, okay, it doesn't matter what the label is. What matters is how I responded to it. That's what 
is meaningful to me. And that's what I think, like, the, the movie is not necessarily about whether she was a vampire and what type of vampire she was and what rules she plays by. It's how Jessica responds and how she's able to overcome. And that's one thing I loved. And I think by not following through with everything, like, there's a girl in his double base case and I don't know who that girl is. Is it the, like we never find out who the mute girl is we see in the, the cemetery. And I don't think we need to know who those people are and how they play into the story for us to like be on Jessica's side, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of elements that put this movie more in the tradition of like psychedelic filmmaking or like dreamy Lynchian mm -hmm. kind of non-linear like and I, yeah like the mute girl like doesn't ever get explained there's like you know and it's like yeah. I think some of the early criticism of the film was like this doesn't make any dang sense <laughs> but actually it's like no it was just sort of a creative and non-linear approach to a horror tale um which is yeah. part of what makes me like it mm -hmm. me too yeah. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about? Um, I know somebody wrote a question in the outline that I kind of want to talk a little bit about. Um, Your scar phobia. Yeah, because yes, I, I wanted to say, did this trigger this for you? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I was always, you had just been talking about it, and then I watched the movie, and I'm like, everyone's got fucking scars. <laughs> they really do, and that's like a notable thing that these guys, that's how they, it's like a brand, you know? It's like, I assumed it's like, that's her vampire's, you know, quote-unquote bite. It's just weird yeah. other marks that she gives them i guess yeah. which is so fascinating and it really yeah. didn't um although I, I i think part of it is because we don't see the the scar for very long we don't linger on it and i think sometimes what it is that bothers me about scars is the feeling of the motion attached to the scar and like if i've got a scar on my elbow and i move my arm like my fear is that the scar is going to open again um, yeah. And I actually had, I can't remember if we talked about this last time or not, but I had a nurse at one point when I was afraid to clean the scar, she said, you're not going to stick your finger in it. And I just, as silly as that sounded, I just burst into tears because that was exactly mm -hmm. what I needed to hear. Cause that's what I was afraid of. And I think because here we don't really see that we just kind of see the mark of the scar. It didn't really mm -hmm. bother me that much, but like I was thinking about that in comparison to the vase and I think, like, there's that feeling that I have that if I have shown that pain or if that ha that damage has happened, that I won't be able to ever, like, I won't be able to ever use my arm again, you know, and that, that fear that I have. And I think it's kind of all connected. And it might go back to that vase story that I read when I was 10. Yeah, um, thanks, Stephen King. You I know. <laughs> like. um, Always but, making things worse. I know, but also so much better. And I love you, Stephen yes. King. And if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the pod yes. and also for uh, you to give us money. Yeah, and be my best friend. And yeah. I'm not... Mm -hmm. I, I won't stalk you, I promise. But um, <laughs> yeah, it did. It was interesting to me that because I saw that question and I was like, oh, no, it really didn't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wonder if it's more like the the scar or the wound itself. I don't know. That's something I need to like piece out. But I wrote a thing about it when I for the movies, The Perfection and um, Jennifer's Body about just oh, how yeah. scars are like outward manifestations of internal pain and I think like when we talk about empowerment like the fact that your body like I've got a giant scar on my back and the fact that that my back was cut open and has healed itself and that I am not and that I had the ability to heal like it shows what I've been through you know and so that's a moment of empowerment even though it does make me like I 
getting my little back tingles right now just talking about it. But, <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's proof that we're still here and that we can heal, you know. 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Maybe that's a good uh, segue into the connections. Oh, I'm yeah. Trying to, the- I'm trying to make this analogy work. <laughs> the, the connections that we see in other things. Does that yeah. hold water? I don't know. <laughs> the, oh, yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, I just did talk about two other movies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, what else do we see anxiety personified in? Like, what other kinds of movies do we see? Well, I don't know about so much the anxiety, but this movie really made me think, and it's a movie I haven't seen in a long time, and it's Yes, there is an anxiety and it's it's about like, I guess, maybe not so much anxiety, but coming back from the brink of mental, you know, from the breaking point, coming back from the breaking point is um, Persona by Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel I haven't seen this movie in so long, so I can't speak to it as specifically as I would like. But I think that there's something aesthetically and on a superficial level that was really making me think about it while I was watching Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Um, Persona was released in 1966. Let's Scare Jessica to Death was in 1971. So I feel like they were really close. Um, John Hancock, who made Let's Scare Jessica to Death, this was one of his, I think it maybe was his first feature or his first full length feature movie. He was a theater guy. So I mm-hmm. feel like he would have definitely been steeping in all the like European art house stuff that was pop- getting kind of popular in intellectual circles. I just don't see how consciously or unconsciously what that wasn't an influence on this. There is a lot of superficial details, at least that the films have in common. Um, Persona is about two women who kind of are maybe the same woman. And it's about an actress who's recovering from a mental breakdown, but she suddenly loses her ability to speak and her nurse who's caring for her at this like remote cabin next to a lake. Um, and they're both films made by men about the like quote unquote feminine psyche. Um, there's a lot of like the dual identity and doubling. Like we have Emily Abigail and then the two slash one character in persona. Um, and that's about all as far as I can go. Cause it's been too long since I've seen the movie, mm-hmm. um, but I really want to revisit it now. And I haven't like when I was looking up stuff about let's scare Jessica to death, I did not see any commentary on those two films. And I was thinking about it and like Googling images. I'm like, am I going crazy? Do these have that in common or don't they? And I'm like, there's so much like aesthetically that they have in common and thematically. And I'm like, how has this not been discussed? So I think that that's just something I would like to personally go and like give a think about yeah. <laughs> here in quarantine. Mike, do you see any, or do you have any? Not even close to related to that. Like what struck me was there's a big thread throughout this movie of whether or not Jessica is believed, whether or not they are dismissing her and they're writing her off and getting rid of her agency. And I just started thinking of Polanski and and Rosemary's baby, Mm. which throughout that movie, you have a character that is saying, these are all the things that are going on with me right now. And the uh, husband in her life is completely dismissive of her for his own reasons, as well as like everybody else around her for really nefarious purposes. So um, one of like the most insidious things about mental illness is this feeling that you're not believed. Yeah. Um, And I just felt that was kind of a running thread between the two movies overall. Interesting. Both of those movies are steeped in that, like, like late sixties going into the Mm seventies, like feeling of paranoia, like that, Mm -hmm. that, that, that paranoid filmmaking, like, and that really dark creeping feeling. It's my favorite era of film because I love that vibe, I guess, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely, they all Uh, persona, Rosemary's baby and this movie all have like a strong vibe in common. 
Yeah, this is a movie that really bridges the gap between like the gothic horror of like Hammer films and what you would see a couple years later with like Toby Hooper and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Not yes. in terms of like graphic violence or sheer terror of that latter movie, but in terms of like this hyper realism and this mm -hmm. real social commentary. But yes. that is kind of masked in this real kind of like the gothic world of Hammer or mm -hmm. totally. So, like, and and Hancock said, I, I found some little quote from him saying that the you know when he was writing and making the movie, he was really influenced by the Turning of the Screw, and then mm -hmm. the film The Haunting, Turning of the Screw is like a gothic horror novel. I mean, I don't know if it's gothic in the sense of like Carmilla and the 18th century. It was more of I think it's a 19th century novel, but it's like those mm -hmm. haunted house vibes. Um, and the, there was a quote from Hancock there. It said. The theme of evil pervading the protagonist's mind was central. I was alarmed by the notion that you can't defeat or diffuse evil. It forever lives inside and all around us. So I worked that fear inside the story, said Hancock, which mm. makes me think of him putting his hand inside the story and going, oh, mm. squirt, yeah. squirt, um, beside <laughs> the point. But I'm so sorry for that. And Jen was forced to witness my hand coming toward the webcam. Oh, no. and like, oh. Um, well, I mean, uh, we're talking about a guy named Hancock, so yeah, you know. his name is Hancock. You know, it just it all mm -hmm. kind of flows together. <laughs> we don't um, make the so, rules, guys. <laughs> yes, yes, but I think that's a really great insight, bridging the gothic to the like hyperrealist like things. Yeah. Like it really straddles that line. There's a lot that's suggested in this movie, and I was thinking, like, as I was listening to you, I was like, have we talked enough about how creepy this movie is? It's and so how, like, creepy. Yes, like, you see somebody rocking in a chair, and you just see, like, a leg, mm -hmm. and it's so creepy in the same way that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is so extremely violent mm -hmm. without showing really any of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's all, like, the suggestiveness, and I, there's a few, like, I guess you could call them jump scares in this movie that really got me, and, like, mm -hmm. moments where I literally felt my heart skip a beat even though there's not really very much happening and that's like that mm -hmm. atmosphere is so well done and I, I mean that alone makes this movie a rewatcher for me because i just love that that's the vibe yeah. that i absolutely like seek out in a horror movie it's also like a precursor for salem's lot mm. where you have mm. like this whole town is taken over by vampires there's yes. this creepy old mansion that has like ties into evil and you it's have new like, England. Yeah. You have yeah. new England and you have like, but you have like these strangers that come into this like idyllic town and then the, slowly the whole town is like taken over. So yeah. I got like the big Salem's lot vibe from this as well. I love Definitely. Salem's lot. That's one of my favorites. It's probably um, my favorite King. Is it? Yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah. my husband's favorite king, too. Yeah, when we first started dating, he listened to that on the way home from, mm -hmm. like, our dates, which because he knew I was a big Stephen yeah. King fan. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Um, it's interesting, like, what you were talking about, about the pervasiveness, and it's just always there, because that's kind of how, like a mental illness is and you just kind of mm -hmm. learn like I am kind of getting to the point where like yeah I'm always gonna have these struggles and I'm always gonna like I'm mm -hmm. just gonna become used to it and like get better and we can talk about that a little bit when we get to the coping mechanisms but like that's just it's a part of who I am and it's kind of in my DNA it's in my blood if you will mm -hmm. yeah that's a, that's like that those lines really gave me the, the heebie-jeebies in the movie she's like I'll never leave you, Jessica. I'm right. in your blood. I'm in your blood. And it's like, yeah, it's just it's like, oh, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's the perfect analogy for that. Yeah. Well, and the two that I wanted to talk about that I really saw a strong connection to one, like when I think about a movie that shows a lot of anxiety, paranormal activity is the one that comes to mind. And I think um, if we look at the like kind of toxic relationship that Jess and Duncan have here, I think you see a lot of that in paranormal activity. Also, just like a partner that is minimizing your fears and your and 
like your experiences and like you that you have to film something to believe it you know and just that feeling that like something is not right and now you see it too and like when you're talking about um, someone finally believing, like in the movie Final Destination, one of my favorite moments, is, I love that movie, but one of my favorite moments in all of horror is when, this is a spoiler for the first 20 minutes of a movie that's 20 years old. So Yeah, I don't you think know, it's once you pass like a, you know, certain right. threshold of time. <laughs> but there's a moment where a character thinks something is going to happen and nobody believes him and then it actually happens. And that yes. moment, I just love it because it's a see, see, I was right. And now we all have to deal with the fact mm-hmm. that one, you didn't believe me and now you're taking me seriously and I wasn't crazy. And mm-hmm. I just, it's such a, it's a terrible moment but it's like there's a triumph so in that. it's cathartic yeah. it really yeah. is i love it and just the look that's one of the best reaction shots like i think i've ever seen because everybody's just mm-hmm. looking at this and they're like oh okay everything has changed now because you were right all along mm-hmm. that that makes me think of candy man and like the moment <sighs> when she's talking to this psychiatrist and she's mm-hmm. like in the mental institution and then he like she says candy man and then he comes and then stabs the psychiatrist mm-hmm. through the stomach <laughs> and his look on his face i'm like i want that scene to last mm-hmm. like two more minutes long so we can hear him going oh shit you were right but it's like just you just you just get the reaction shot Mm -hmm. which is a good cinematic choice but i literally always want to have him be like i'm sorry (laughs) well you get that in terminator 2 where you have the psychiatrist Uh you know who's like there's no giant robot man from the (laughs) future Mm -hmm. and then the giant robot man from the future shows up and you can see him be like Fuck. Oh, so. no. Well, Terminator 2 is my all-time favorite movie and is it's it? perfected really? cinema, I think. Oh yeah. I love I, the Terminator movies. Love oh, them so God. hard. Love yeah. Them. Well, and the one that I thought that I really felt kind of a strong connection to was The Descent. Um, mm. which have you guys seen that one? Yes, great. Oh, so good. And I won't spoil it, but there's a lot of like a character coming back from trauma and like did she really see something or is she crazy and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trusting, and the, one of my favorite lines in all of horror too is the part where she says, "The worst has already happened, and you're still here." And I just think mm-hmm. of that: you're still here all the time when I'm trying to get through things. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I don't want to spoil because everybody should watch The Descent if you haven't. But like, there's, yeah, we should do an episode on it. We definitely sure. should. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like, there's two different endings, and there's a reading of it. Maybe I'll talk about it in this movie. I'm glad that we mm. didn't follow this story long enough to find out that Jessica was really crazy and she killed everyone mm. herself. Um, because I think you could read that this film and think that. Yes. I think there's enough, but not enough to see that. But I like that it didn't go mm. all the way there because that almost like... I just don't love that, you know? No, I hate yeah. that. I like an ambiguous ending, and I like that it leaves, and, and that's the nature of uh, of horror is ambiguity, and it's mm-hmm. the nature of struggling with mental illness is an mm-hmm. ambiguity you always have to live with. That's like Lynch is one of my favorite filmmakers. Like, mm-hmm. he, I just, I'm a, I'm a Lynch stan, and that's, that's, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. my shit, baby. I'll eat it up all day. I'm not really one to question the reality of a movie either, you know? I don't, I don't know if that's just my, like, conditioning as a human in my experiences, but, like, like I, 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 ne- whenever it's like, oh, it was Tyler Durden was 
spoiler oh, I hate that redacted. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, that always gets me because I just don't question. I just kind of go along for the ride with the movie, and I like to pick it apart. But I mm -hmm. think like I watch a lot of these movies to experience the highs and lows of it, and if I'm constantly trying to guess, like it's yeah, just I'm I, not I don't invested. like a director that's like M Night Shyamalan or something that's like, and then I'm gonna lay it all out for you in a yeah. little bow. Like it's yeah. just boring, gotcha. you know. Mm -hmm. Here's mm -hmm. the puzzle piece is how they connected. Now, I will say well, that you're watching the movie for a twist. That's yeah. right. You're, yeah, you're not watching it for the story. You're like, where is the twist going to happen? Right. Exactly. That's sort of, it undermines what film mm -hmm. and cinema should be, which is like mm -hmm. revealing something to you about yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and not to be too highfalutin about it. But yeah. Well, uh, let's kind of bring it back to our uplifting moment. Is there anything we haven't said about Jessica that we want to share? Or are we ready to... Bring can, I think up. we're good. Yeah. And, and right. can, can we can we pause for one second and say, and now for our uplifting moment. Oh, and now for our uplifting moment. Ooh. And now <laughs> for our uplifting moment. Yeah. I want to edit in a harp. I'm going to edit oh. in a harp sound. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we want to kind of leave on, we're going to, I think we talked about this kind of as through an empowering lens, but there are going to be some episodes where we're talking about some hard things, maybe some episodes coming up pretty soon. Um, <laughs> and so we want to kind of like bring it back up and make sure my therapist is always really good at like making sure I'm not walking out devastated. Yes, um, that is important. <laughs> yeah. So we want to talk about um, grounding and coping techniques. And are there anything in particular that we're using right now? And we talked about um, how this might shift over time. So I think it's interesting to like say what's go what's working for us right now or what is a new thing? Like Mike, if you have found something new that is working, I'd love to hear that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I would say like right now, like where the weather has taken a turn for the better and it's been nicer to like get outside and enjoy that a little bit. Like I've been doing a lot more um, yard work and lawn care and, garden not gardening but like mulching and like that feeling of like earth between the toes and earth and like the fingers and like like digging up the weeds and like make and also seeing progress as we're doing it like number one like you get that physical sensation of like the dirt on your hands and whatnot which is mm -hmm. really nice but also like you see the progress each day as you like clear one area out of the yard and then beautify it a little bit and make it a little bit nicer i think that's been like really satisfying and like giving me like a sense of like accomplishment right now so um nice. that and like preparing our backyard for some like fun summertime things like we just got in uh it literally just came today it's like a outdoor projector that's the size of like a cup of coffee oh um, that's so fun i love so do you get have, to do backyard movies yeah so Aww. we have that and a screen we can set up outside and we're gonna do like backyard movies and have some friends over and allow them to kind of sit six feet apart. Right. As long as they're all outside. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's great. That'll be like such a good yeah. childhood memory too mm -hmm. for, yep. for your daughter. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Laura, um, what are you doing right now? The only thing I've been successfully doing with any consistency is that <laughs> I, I mean, which it sounds so stupid, but for me, it's a big deal is cooking. Um, I, have it's like one skill that I never really developed like I had my like three recipes that were fairly healthy that I would make and then I it would otherwise just be like let's make the same chicken breast 
vegetable situation over and over. And yep. since we've been in quarantine and because I haven't been, I've been too paranoid to order out and like, or really go and, and get anything just because I have asthma and some underlying health stuff. So I've just been super paranoid and that's led to me. I, I got like a meal subscription box, um, Maybe they want to sponsor us. Hello, <laughs> Hello Fresh. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I, I, this is Hello Fresh. You can make delicious meat. They're not sponsoring us. Anyway, oh, the, the, not, the point yet. Is, not yet. <laughs> um, but like, I, I got a stupid ass subscription to that. And I've also just been like buying vegetables, um, doing like curbside pickup with my old lady shopping cart because I don't have a car. So I've just been dragging this red shopping cart. Nice. But I've been bu- oh. buying I've been buying the vegetables. I've been doing the HelloFresh and, and some recipes. And I've mm-hmm. been making all of my own meals, which is wild to me. And it's, you know, I got my salary um, uh, cut a little bit from work mm-hmm. too. So it's been, I've been saving a lot of money. I've been, and then there's something really gratifying about just making a meal every day and eating your own food mm-hmm. and being like, hey, I this is something that I couldn't do before. And I just followed the steps of this recipe, kind of like you were saying about progress and like, Oh, it actually tastes good too. It's mm-hmm. fucking wild to me. It's something I it was a skill. I had resigned myself to like never really cultivating mm-hmm. and I'm doing it. And yeah, I feel like an adult. That's human. awesome. I have been, um, one of the things that I finally gotten okay at doing meaning I can do it about 20% of the time is I will have a lot of these like negative interjects that come into my head um especially when I'm kind of in times of transition and I'm like starting to change my thought patterns my brain will kick up this hey remember when you were in middle school and you did that stupid thing don't forget to hate yourself you know (laughs) and so like it picks up and so I was talking about that in therapy and I was like why would my brain want want me to be sad why would my brain do that and she said no your brain wants you to be safe and that's your thought process and your brain is telling you because because she always talks about how like these memories are your brain doesn't understand them in a timeline and so like when it pops I think of it as a bubble popping like your brain thinks it's happening right now and so when I've noticed that happening 20% of the time which I'm pretty proud of because it's 20% more than zero but I say thank you brain for keeping me safe I'm safe right now I don't need this thought yeah and it's I if I can catch it and so maybe next week I'll have 30% of it but that has been something that I that's when I can kind of feel proud of myself for like the work I'm doing with therapy. Um, that's awesome. And I, I really don't underestimate the 20% because like I deal with that same shit and that's huge. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, to paraphrase one of the greatest movies of the century, Anchorman, 20% <laughs> of the time, it's a 20% of the time it's effective a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> or every time. Oh, that's yeah. Paul Rudd. And I love yeah. Paul Rudd. Uh, Paul oh. Rudd. Hottiest little hottie. He's so tiny and cute. Well, and you know, Paul Rudd is on an amazing show called Parks and Recreation. And one of my favorite episodes of Parks and Recreation is about treat yourself. Treat yourself. That's my clumsy segue. We may have already covered this, but we wanted to talk about our self-care also. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can kind of next time we can kind of just everybody, we can overlap it a little bit. But is there any self-care you guys are doing right now? eating the food that I cook (laughs) slightly too much of it. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like, yeah, food is like the only thing I have right now. So I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be healthy, but also like really enjoy the food. So I'm letting myself, you know, cook with like, have a whole avocado and and enjoy the fattier things, even though, you know, there's part of me that wants to like count calories and all that shit, but I'm not, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be moderate and 
you know, not go overboard, but like let myself and if I bake something, I can enjoy it, you know, mm-hmm. um, just stuff like that, you know, not, not guilting, try, trying not to guilt myself too much right now about stuff. Oh, that's great. Mike, do you have any self-care? For me, I've been like using like the theater I built in our uh, unfinished basement. We have like a giant bean bag and a projector and like a nice system that I basically put together like piecemeal over like Facebook marketplace. Like I found speakers that were a thousand bucks retail for $50 yes. because people don't know what things cost. It's <laughs> awesome. And I've just been like watching movies like crazy. Like I've definitely been like, all right, brain, we're shutting off now. It's, we're going to go watch like all the paranormal activity wow. movies. Um, and I've been watching them with my daughter uh, and she's really and she's like, why can't we watch these in the backyard for our first movie? And then there's like a profanity lace tirade. And she's like, oh, that's why. Um, <laughs> these are the secret cave yeah. movies. But <laughs> I've, I've noticed she does this thing where like when there are creepy bits, she starts talking over it and asking questions. Mm. And part of me wants to like Alamo draft house her and kick her out of the room. <laughs> but then I kind of realize it's like her way of kind of coping with it being spooky. Yes. Um, so I kind of like talk, pause it and talk with her for a bit through it. And we'll make puns like we were watching part two. And we're like, oh, it's panoranormal activity. Cause, <laughs> yes, because the, the panning shot yes. still freaks me out. I love mm-hmm. a, like a, a pan to reveal right. in a horror uh-huh. setting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Gives um, me the willies. Part three is genius. I yeah. love it. <laughs> so there's that. And then what I do to get her back is I stand over her bed and rock back and forth and then wake her up. And no! Don't move for oh, that's cruel. <laughs> Some horror. No, I don't. Oh, I don't do that. No, I don't do that. Don't do that. Don't admit to doing that. <laughs> I have been watching. I've had a kind of, this was a rough week where I had a lot of like spiraling. So I like horror was not what I wanted to watch this week. So I've been watching the Great British Baking Show, which oh, yes. is just, it's just so kind and pleasant. And I love like the criticisms are so specific and usually mm-hmm. followed by, yeah, but it tastes delicious. This part just yes. wasn't successful. And they said, it's not sloppy. It's informal. That's like oh, yes. I love but that show it. is such a comfort food. It's it like really and it's is. the music and it's it's the fantasy in my head of what England is. It's like almost to a Harry Potter extent of like we're all in a tent and there's a, a mm. duck wandering about. Yeah, that, that's pretty much England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've also been um, one of my favorite self care podcasts is the um, you must remember this podcast. I love that podcast yeah. and I love yeah. Oh, it's like my favorite era of film too. Yeah. Besides all the horror stuff, you know. <laughs> Well, it's about um, old Hollywood history. Um, and they did. Did you listen to the series about where the monsters come from, about um, Bella Lugosi? And no. um, who's the guy who plays Frankenstein? Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff, yeah. That's a really no, interesting series. I need, to listen, I need to listen to that. I need to listen to I've listened to like a handful of episodes, but I want to listen to more. It's such a great show. I love it. There's a series on Gene Seberg and, Joan, and Jane Fonda. That, And what I love about it is it's not a conversational podcast, so like... I my brain doesn't have to like really work very hard and everything has already happened so there's no like I would also say the crown is another one like it's just soothing and I can google what's gonna happen (laughs) instead of like getting too stressed about it so those are two that have gotten me through this week Um, yes 
Yeah. Well, so we also are going to start incorporating some homework um, that you don't have to do. We're not going to grade you, but we kind of wanted to like, this is, we want this to be a conversation. We also understand, like we were talking about earlier, we experience things differently within just the three of us. So we know that you probably are experiencing these things differently too. And we want to hear from you. We also know that it's really helpful to talk about these things. So if you want to talk to us, um, we are, uh, hopefully we have some more information about how you can actually do that it's probably going to be in the form of like a Facebook group and I want to give a pro tip about Facebook groups because um, I don't like Facebook but what I did is I just created a I can't remember if I talked about this earlier um, I just created an alternative account and I don't friend anyone. So if you try to friend me on Facebook, I have a policy of no friends because that way the only things I see are in the group and it's a moderated group. So if that's a way, if you don't like Facebook, but you still want to participate in things like that, and we'll probably try to do other social media platforms too, but that's a way you can do it. Yeah, um, I think it would be great if we can really start like a nice moderated um, place or a safe space right. for people just to talk about the stuff that they mm -hmm. like, which is what we like, which is horror and mental health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found with Facebook, my mental health got way better once I deleted it from my phone. Yeah. If you have um, to log on to your laptop, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good yeah. tactic. Yeah. And I per and I all I had this conversation with my friend Brad McCarg the other day. How like I love personally love Twitter overall. Mm -hmm. I think it can be great, but it can also be like a cesspool of crap. It just it can be yeah. terrible. Yep. But and there are times where I'll catch myself wanting to post something that's probably pretty mean and not very and I've definitely <laughs> done that. I've definitely done that before and I've gotten in trouble for it. Um but I'm like if I could come up with a site and like you could anonymously post your like angriest tweets, you know, without them being, of course, racist, misogynistic, homophobic, like mm -hmm. no isms in it, but just being like, you know, um, awful, awful shit you want to say to people like mm -hmm. during it. And you can anonymously post them and like a oh, billion dollar idea. Yeah. Just absolutely. Because you, you just want to get it out of your head, you know? It's, yeah. You could just call it subtwitter.com. <laughs> you know, <and> <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, so do we have any particular homework or do we want to kind of just keep last time it was what are your coping mechanisms and what is your self-care? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe just, you know, what is your response to this film? Mm -hmm. um, you know, do, what, do you, what, what did you relate to or not relate mm -hmm. to about the film? Did you have any um, gripes with it that we didn't cover or things that you really loved about it that we didn't cover? Just, mm -hmm. just want to be part of the conversation and, yeah. and how you, how you see or don't see yourself in this movie would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what other movies do you see anxiety in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, since this is kind of wrapping our uh, first two chapters on anxiety, mm -hmm. if you have thoughts on anxiety mm -hmm. or other movies that relate to anxiety, because um, we can always revisit these these big, broad concepts later in the mm -hmm. run. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, and so that's anxiety for now. I imagine if there's one that we go back to, this is probably going to be one. <laughs> yes, it's a big boy. It is, yeah. And it's interesting how it overlaps with, everything you know um, yeah. but so next month we are starting a new kind of duo of episodes we're going to be talking about toxic and abusive relationships um, Yay. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so the way that we're going to do that is we're going to do we are, our shows are going to drop bi-weekly um, and we're going to have two different movies where we look at the, the first episode we did was kind of just a general 
awesome free-for-all that I loved with every fiber of my being. But this this episode where we talk about the specific movie is going to be the general format that we're going to stick with. So we're going to talk about toxic and abusive relationships. And next week, we are going to be talking about the movie Midsommar. Are we watching the director's cut or the theatrical? Mm, I'd say let's watch the theatrical release. Because okay. I, I did I watched, I did another podcast where we watched the, the director's mm-hmm. cut. And, I mean, we can talk about this off offline or whatever, but mm-hmm. like... I think that the theatrical cut is a better movie. Okay. So, Interesting. That's just like, my opinion. It's two and a half hours of a person having a nervous breakdown, <laughs> and it's so... Yeah. It's hard. It's really, really hard. I'm excited to talk movie. about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, I adore mm. this movie. So yeah, I'm excited. So, so yeah. watch the um, the what do we say theatrical cut? Although I'm sure we can probably like Laura, we can have you kind of pepper mm. in some stuff. Yeah, if, if we could, we could. You know, if you want to watch both, I think it's it's definitely if you're a fan of the movie, it's worth watching the director's cut. If you like Mike, you struggled through, through the theatrical cut, the director's cut will make you want to die. You will, you might die. Really? Um, awesome. Because so now it's I just like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I, it is worth it, I think. But I just think that the theatrical cut is by every measure a better film, a better okay. cinematic experience. Um, but like I said, I can save all those thoughts for, for next time. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, so that's going to be it for this episode. We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. So please make sure to check out the plethora of other shows on that network. There's the Losers Club. There's Halloweenies, um, which you can find Laura and I on occasionally. There's uh, the Horror Virgin which you can find me on always. Um, this must be the gig. Kyle Meredith, The Assembly, The Opus, Ghost Death Echoes, and The Fifth Dimension. You should also check out the you should also check out the website Consequence of Sound because they have lots of awesome reviews and articles running constantly. Um, I write occasionally there too. Um, but Mike, where can we find you? So uh, right now we uh, I am one of the hosts for the Pod and the Pendulum, which Ooh. is a horror movie podcast that does all franchises so if we are covering like say friday the 13th there are 12 movies so there were 12 episodes um actually there were 13 because we did like two for freddy versus jason but you get the general (laughs) idea Um, one for freddy and for jason (laughs) right now i don't know like when this will come out but we're probably at the tail end of the alien franchise and um Kind of humble brag. Like I'm really proud of the work we're like doing <laughs> on those episodes. Like we're, I think we're really diving deep into the franchise and a lot of the themes of it. Uh, and I'm really excited about the kind of work we're doing there overall. That's great. Um, and you'll find me. I think by the time this comes out, I'll have a piece up on Dread Central. Um, I've got some stuff with Shutters to Bite. Um, I've got a piece coming out about why Dr. Loomis is the world's worst psychiatrist. <laughs> Um, Excellent. It's mm. it's a piece that's like it's kind of written in a humorous tongue in cheek <laughs> way, and hopefully you'll find me in some other places as well in the near future. And where can we follow you online? Oh, online on uh, my personal Twitter account is Mike underscore Snoonian. Um, you can also find me at Pod and Pendulum. Uh, we interact with all of our listeners. I tend to post a little bit more on that one lately, and. You know, I probably shouldn't let my personal slash political (laughs) views get through. But I think Jerry and I are very much often on the same page as one another. Mm. Um, We just got a reviewer like I really like the show, but they're kind of like left leaning social 
justice warriors who are like, thanks for that, brother. Yeah, you know? no, get the fuck um, out. Anyway, no, I, I took the opposite tack. I was like, grateful that this person was who might feel different from us was like taking the time to listen mm. and maybe we can influence some change there, you know? Yes. So, nice. you know. I get exhausted from doing that with one relative and other people I know. So oh, right yeah, I don't do that. With, I, I afford our listeners way more latitude <laughs> than I do my racist uncles. Mm. So Why is it always me. the uncle? I have the racist uncle. That's always yeah. the uncle. Yep. Anyway. Well, Laura, um, where can we find you? <laughs> Besides battling with your racist uncles. <laughs> yeah, on the streets where I am an Antifa super soldier. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's see. I uh, On Twitter, I am at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S, like the stuff you wear under your knickers. And Ooh. on Instagram, I am at... <laughs> oh, um, on Instagram, I'm at instaglum, like Instagram, but with glum at the end, um, which is my way of joking about sadness <laughs> um um well and laura and i both appear on halloweenies and the losers club also yes. on consequence network occasionally um yep and I, rotating loser yeah, yeah. <laughs> never been more proud to be a loser man yes yes um you can also find me um on the horror virgin which drops on mondays and we are in we're a uh, when this drops, I think we're going to be wrapping up Aquatic Horror Month, which has been uh, <laughs> really fun. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to be fun. Um, hey, Future Jen, I hope that it's been fun. Um, but you can find me at um, Jen Ferratu on all of the socials. That's Jen with two N's, Ferratu. Um, and yeah, so I still don't know if we landed on a sign-off. Um, oh, God, we didn't. Did yeah, we? after sign-off Palooza last time. Um, no, to, it was something like I came here to chew bubble gum and take care of myself or whatever i like that one i like that yeah i came here to chew we came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves and we're and all, we're all out, out of bubble, bubble gum, gum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us guys i'm jen i'm lara i'm mike <laughs> we'll and figure I'm this okay. out at some point <laughs> we're yes. all okay aren't we and we're all okay <laughs> <laughs> all right bye everybody bye Consequence Podcast Network.